0: What's up, brother? Bam, we're live. Ah, oh, thank you. Are you you're on the uh, DJ EFN? Are you on the East Coast? Yep, Miami. Okay, so you're t- 10 a.m. for you. 10 a.m. Where are you at? West Coast? Yeah, I'm in Santa Cruz, California. Super south early of- <laughs> for you. <laughs> south, about uh 70 miles south of San Francisco. Nice, nice. uh Cheers. I appreciate you doing this. Cheers, man. Put some water here. What, who, um, how, how do I, how, how, what, what do you go by? Do you go by E or DJ e or DJ e FM or? My friends call me E usually. E. All right. Yeah. Is that a, is that appropriate for me? Absolutely. All right, cool. We're off to a fucking great start. I want to show some people something real quick before we get started. Uh, I entered the podcast game about a year ago, and I when I think of the people that I I would like to uh, interact with, uh, f- first of all, I, I don't give a shit about ratings. It's funny I got a note from Buzzsprout, the people who uh, you know host my podcast, and they send little uh, emails out telling you how to make your podcast better. Right. and like yeah. it's it's all just sellout shit i just cannot fucking believe it it's just not who i am that the, the pieces of advice they give an example would be like if you do a video on how to grill a steak and it doesn't do well maybe you should do one on how to bake a steak i'm like fuck you if grilling's my thing i'm grilling right
1: I don't For care sure. if
0: sure like it or not uh but uh he, he, the, this library of people that you um have uh interacted with is and we're the same i think you're 48 and i'm 50 47 i just turned 47 in May. 47 uh here you are with uh i, I can't even believe it too short i, I was I was born in oakland california so, oh, so i mean short's big for you yeah when I it's mean, big for this, all
2: of us but i mean especially in that area
0: when i grew up uh listening to short he was still selling uh you know i was got i think i had one of the original tapes out of the trunk of his car uh here you are with 50 cent one of the newer guys ll cool j i mean i i I didn't even know when I heard him. I was like, "Wow, they rap in New York." <laughs> you know? uh, Lil Wayne, um, uh, Floyd Mayweather, nuts! Yeah. And those of you who are looking through these slides, you're going to see a gentleman in the in the all of these photos also. And this is uh, I'm really curious about that relationship. Um, it's a, a rapper named Noriega, but now he goes by Nor, right? Right, right. Yeah. Okay. And they have a show called drink, Ch- drink champs, uh, which is, um, from what I could tell is a uh, part of a larger con- consortium, uh, called revolt, which is owned by P Diddy. Is that correct? Uh revolt is the, the TV network
2: that distributes our television show and then our YouTube uh, video. Okay. They're just partners with it. They license the content from us.
0: Okay. Uh, DJ Khaled, uh, Hey, is, is, does he have something sprayed on his head there? Is that his real hair? What's going on with the homie's hair? I think he I, he probably dyed
2: it, I think. I, I think oh, he he says it in that episode.
0: Oh, he does. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh Rick Ross, um I had the uh pleasure oh, what a trippy cat. I had the pleasure to go hang out with him at his house for a few well, hours one day. He he was doing some CrossFit.
2: CrossFit, what he was calling. Yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Uh that was awesome. Um really uh what are your, what are your first before I keep showing off this crazy? Sure. What what are your impressions of Rick Ross? Like just,
2: oh, I've known him for for years before he blew up to, to everybody else. Um, I came up in Miami doing mixtapes. I was a mixtape DJ. That's the lane that I created for myself and my brand through my company, Crazy Hood Productions, and Crazy what? Crazy Hood Productions. And the main thing for for us, our our mission when we started in in ninety three, coming out of high school is to like just really help put Miami's hip hop scene on the map? And through my mixtapes, I had all the guys that were bubbling in Miami. The first thing they did was usually get on a mixtape, you know on my mixtape um, and specifically to Ross and Pitbull. and all these guys, they all came through my studios. They all did drops. They all did freestyles, exclusive stuff for the for the mixtapes. And I knew all these guys, like I knew Pitbull when he was
0: you know super young and another uh, cuban right pitbull's another cuban Uh, um uh, crazy social consciousness i don't mean in this sorry if this bothers you i don't mean in this fucked up woke bullshit social consciousness i mean like real social conscious
2: no he's he's a he's a a good dude he's a smart dude yeah um and you know he, he believes what he believes in like to me it's like if you wholeheartedly believe in whatever you believe in yeah then power to you you know Cool.
0: All right. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, So so the mixtape thing, you were a curator of rappers.
2: Yeah, I mean, a mixtape DJ is basically every mixtape was like putting together a compilation album. That's the way I looked at it and that's the way I approached it. Like I was the A&R for for an album and I put them out probably every every few months I was putting out these mixtapes. This is before in a time frame in the early 90s, mid 90s in Miami where commercial radio didn't have we didn't have mixed shows out here that played hip hop. On commercial radio so the the labels and the artists needed to to get their music out and they got it through mixtape djs like myself underground radio djs which I, I did that as well pirate radio and college radio and those are the, the the outlets that they used in those times so it, we were pretty important because they didn't have the commercial radio to to do that
0: for them and you said you were a what's that
2: a and is, is basically at the label the that curates it helps artists you know pick beats get their features they're the ones that put together projects, and so I, I was like my own A and was like the artist that was compiling these compilations, which are mixtapes.
0: What What's it stand for? Artists and repertoire, if I'm not wrong. Okay. Uh and and when you would mix these tapes, would there be gaps in between the artists? Like you would you would you would curate them and be like, okay, this tape is gonna be Curtis Blow and Kumo D, and you or you would actually mix them together so it's one long. 54 minute
2: yeah yeah it was a it was um, when i started it was on cassette tapes and it was turntables with mostly with vinyl i mean i have my turntables right in front of me right now i'm in my office and um and i used to get a i eventually got a four track and i started with a with a cassette four track uh, like a real old school four track and then you know that way i could get creative and putting you know overdubbing sounds and, and doing different things to make the tape it wasn't about just putting songs together on a list it was making the tape have uh my personality on it and so and then i would have my my crew we would they, they had rappers in the crew we would intro we would do these elaborate intros with with skits and all, we had skits in between different songs oh, all kinds of things yeah
0: i remember when that wow i forgot that albums used to have like skits before the song sometimes
2: right right and imagine you know, on mixtapes we would go crazy because you know we we would have all these songs from your favorite artists, but then we would put our own stuff in there. It was, it was cool.
0: So, so when you would, when you would do this, you were basically just a one man team. What about, what about legal issues? Did you have a lawyer? Did you, did you have like nah, all the paperwork where you guys officially like, Hey, sign here. I'm about to put you on a mix. No no, 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 not
2: just, when we started. And I wasn't a one man team. I was, it was my crew out of high school that we all banded together to make this company and, and, and this brand called crazy hood. And it was like, at the time when we started, it was like, 10 to 15 of us. And, and no, and I, and I remember I had a lawyer at one point, in, you know, a few years after I started. And when I told him that I was doing the mixtapes, he like, he lost his shit. He was like, oh man, you're, you know, this is copyright infringement, all this stuff. But mixtapes is a part of hip hop culture. So it, it just it just flew under the radar. And for the most part, the labels, they sanctioned it. But once your mixtapes got to a certain level, or the artists that they were pushing already didn't need the mixtape, then you would get these cease and desist letters from the labels. It was a, it's a big, it was a sham on their part. Like they, they totally betrayed us.
0: So it was a game. We'll use game. you until we're bigger than you, and then we're done with you.
2: Right. And so you'll hear about mixtape DJs like DJ Drama, or, or I had. There was a big distributor in Miami getting raided by the feds, like if they were Al Qaeda, you know, right. uh, and, and and freezing their assets and all this crazy stuff that was going on. Luckily, I was just getting these letters, and you know, sometimes I would just you know i would not i would wait to put out a mixtape when i would get one of those letters and then i and then i you know I'd be like "All right, fuck it i'm just going to do another one
0: and um, when i hung out with rick ross i was surprised by his personality i didn't know what to expect but he really seemed like an artist to me like he yeah. could have been any artist he like if someone had been like hey that dude's the greatest painter or that dude's the greatest poet or that dude's the greatest violinist i would have been like yeah there was something like uh uh soft about him even though from room to room, he carried the gun everywhere. When we went in, he had a gun with the fucking extended clip in it. Even when he was working out, he kept it, you know, within 10 feet of him. But there was, even when I shook his hands, they felt like supple and the way his fingers moved and the way he moved. He was, uh, he's intentional as an artist. He's very intentional.
2: Um, he's, he's, he's a great lyricist, which, which is one of the things that I always wanted from the artists in Miami. Cause you know, we're in the South and, and and we were known for Miami bass, like Two Life Crew and all of them, which to me yeah. at that time, they were equal to like the Run DMC, just with different different subject matter, you know. But as the South started growing, we started departing from lyrics and the certain sound. And, and to me, Ross, you know, he was a lyrical artist. Pitt had his own style of being lyrical. And and I like that about Ross. And, and he was always very intentional. He knew what he was doing. And he comes from a rough place, like the gun thing. He's from Carroll City. Carroll City is a rough spot. And and so but he he's dope, man. He's really dope. Uh, I
0: I forgot about uh Miami Bass. I I can see the album now. And they had the bass test, right? In the beginning. We're going to run a bass test. <laughs> yeah, some <And> joint. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah,
0: yeah. That that was th- there was the actual group, right? There was an the actual album called the Miami or Miami Bass. It wasn't uh, just uh uh I wouldn't doubt it.
2: If, I don't know if there was a group called Miami Bass. That was more the style. There might have been. I don't doubt that there could have been, but Two Life Crew, Uncle Al, uh, Poison Clan, like, like we had this this whole genre. It became a a parallel genre to hip hop at the time because they in Miami they looked at at hip hop as this New York phenomenon, uh, kind of invading, yeah. Uh, and so it kind of had these parallel universes. But Miami, you know, music which was more of a dance. You danced to 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 Miami bass when you danced with the girls. Like here, if you went to a party in the early '90s, mid '90s, it was. The hip hop was you just stood there and kind of bobbed your head or you had break dancers maybe come out and you watched them. And then when reggae and bass came on, that's when you danced with the ladies.
0: Yeah. When 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 I was a kid, I, I went to a school. Uh, maybe may, I don't know, three thousand kids in my high school. And there was uh, I graduated in 1990 from high school. And from, I don't know, probably my sophomore, junior, senior year, I, I kept a cassette player in my locker. It was one of those ones that um, came with the TR-80, the Radio Shack computer. Right, Remember, right. instead of CDs putting into a computer, you put the cassette tape and you push it and it loads the... I don't yep. know how the fuck that worked. Through sounds, it loaded the shit up on... <laughs> Radio your Shack
2: had all the cool gadgets. <laughs> right. I just remember just going to Radio Shack and just looking around. They
0: were kind of the ghetto gadgets, though, too, right? Right. Well, I mean, for us, we didn't know. I mean, that's right. all... We could afford and couldn't even afford, right? Um. So, but I, but I took that cassette player that was supposed to be for the computer, and I kept it in my locker. And I would just like I would just bring all my friends over to my locker, and I would always have like just the gnarliest rap, just like you know all the NWA, Two Life Crew, all that stuff, uh, UTFO. I guess they weren't that hardcore. Um, Gucci Crew,
2: Gucci Crew, yeah, big uh, okay.
0: Sally, that that girl,
2: yeah, yeah, that was a huge song out here. Um.
0: Uh, I had a little bit of Curtis Blow. I think he was I think he was in the 8th grade I went to New York and and I and I got a cassette tape of him. I don't I don't even think you could find him on the West Coast that early. Anyway, my point being is it was all white kids. Right. It was all white kids. And when I hear about hip hop culture, it's always these black dudes talking about hip hop culture. Right. And I'm like thinking to myself, the biggest part of hip hop culture probably is the part that no one ever talks about
2: the multicultural side of it
0: or or, or the the fucking hundred million white kids that grew up in it in their fucking in their in their high schools that never don't that's the only fucking black culture they were exposed to or the most predominant piece of black culture they were exposed to they right. didn't know that there's not a single black person in their but they embodied it they live by right. it they you know girls who were getting straight a's fucking new I bet you more white girls getting straight A's know the lyrics to fucking the Two Life Crew album than any other fucking, if you want to categorize it, demographic. Right, you know right, what I mean? Right. And it's kind of, um, It's fascinating to me, like uh, so, it, especially as I went through all of your, you know, as I went through your your uh, um, Instagram, and I started looking at all the drink drink champ stuff, and it's just this massive, uh, uh, portfolio of the artist. But I, 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 it's just fascinating to me that it's never talked about about who embodied that culture and what the effect of it had on them. And when someone like Kendrick Lamar brought that girl up on stage and had her sing the fucking song and it had the word nigga in it and then she said it out loud and then he fucking called her out on it. That's what I hear. I didn't ever see the the video. Right. I'm I'm fucking blown away. You, in what way are you blown away? I am I'm, I'm blown away that there's a uh, that it's so divisive still. That 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 that, that and, and maybe we still have time. There there's an artist called um I had him on here. Do you remember his name, Caleb? The rapper on, he has a song called Let the White Kids Say Nigga. Have you heard that song?
2: You, you're talking to me? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I no? haven't heard that no? song. But I, I, what, I, what I will say to that is is this, is that, so I grew up in Miami and we were saying the N word
0: I seen Latino. white guys on your show say it. I seen I, I watched your uh, I watched your piece what? where you guys went to Cuba. Crazy. I don't know if he's a white guy, but he's not a black guy.
2: Oh, he's Latino. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Latino. But yeah. so that's what I'm trying to say is like we grew up saying that it was it was in our vernacular was was what we said. But I will tell you that I'll tell you something that changed me. Why I think that even though it's hard for even us to get it out of our vocabulary because we grew up with it. It's just, it just, it made me feel like we have to try to get it out of our vocabulary.
0: Okay, I feel okay. So
2: I went to Atlanta. It was like uh, I don't know, maybe mid '90s, mid to late '90s, and we're 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 my crew's mixed. We're we're black and Latino, and um, but we're in the elevator, and it's mostly a bunch of Latino kids, a Brazilian, a Cuban, Puerto Rican, Colombian, and this elderly uh black woman walks into the elevator. And we're from Miami, and we're just talking the way we talk, and we're throwing around, and we're like normal. We're not say- obviously the way we're looking at. It is we're not saying racially as a, as something negative. We're saying it is just it's just the way we talk to each other, like saying bro or dude,
0: or like but, or like sometimes I, how I use fuck. It's just it just goes in every sentence. Right, single but thing. Right.
2: but when I looked at the elderly black woman and and caught how we were talking around her and figured did some quick math and said this she grew up. And uh, the civil rights movement, most likely it, it. I'm gonna be honest with you, it, it bothered me. Yeah. For her. And right. I felt like, you know what? She doesn't she, you know, first of all, I've come to understand in different places, different regions, everybody's different. So you, you might be comfortable. Someone might be comfortable with you talking a certain way in one region, you go to another region, and they're not comfortable. And, and they're not wrong for that. So I've, I've actively, you know, said, you know, I'm not going to say it like that. I'm not going to say that word, you know, if I have any, you know, if I can help it. And and Me I, too.
0: I don't say, I don't say that word either, but I do hey. say it in context. I don't say N word. I say the word when I say it, but, but I don't say the word. I think it's a bad word. Right. Right. Like, but like I can naughty word.
2: I understand the, the confusion because of the music. Like we went, I do this film series where we travel to Peru. I mean, the different countries, but amazing we series. Amazing. God. And, it's amazing And, um, my 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 one of my friends is with us. He's Jamaican. He's black, um, and we're all together. And this Peruvian graffiti artist who's really cool. He's the one taking us around. Really entrenched in the hip hop scene in Peru. He's saying the N word left and right, and throughout the trip. And so finally, my boy turns to me, my boy Drain, He's like, "Look, man, you know it's bad enough I gotta be in Miami in the states and and hear a bunch of cheek. They call us chicos in Miami. A bunch of chicos saying the N word." That I gotta come now to another country and hear them saying the N-word, you know, and, and he he's like, I can't take it anymore. And and you know, I had to respect that. And I and I pulled the kid to the side and I said, Look, do me a favor, man. You need to stop saying that. It's it's bothering my friend. Uh, do me the favor. And he just looked at me confused, the kid, and he said, But you guys taught us this. Yeah, that's the irony, right? So I understand the confusion, but I think that. We just, you know, if we know better, like how I felt when I was in that elevator and I knew better, I knew the context of history, I knew where it might bother somebody. Like, why do I just because I want to say this word just because I'm going to bother this person, I'm going to upset this person. I'd rather just try not to say it. You know, it's not that important, you know,
0: I agree wholeheartedly. And it's just like if I have a if I have a 17 year old on the show, let's say I'm interviewing a 17 year old. I think I empathize with the fact that they have parents who are probably watching the show and that I need to be very, very conscious that they have parents watching the show and treat them like how I would want someone to treat my kid. Right. Don't lure them down any fucked up questioning. Try not to swear in front of them. Y- you know what I mean? Be, uh have some situational awareness. That being said. I got three Jew boys, right? I got three little boys, Jewish boys. Right. I never want the fact that they're born onto planet earth where there's a word waiting for them that they're supposed to be offended by their whole life. Fuck you. My kids aren't playing that game. Right. Like, fuck that. You can't words don't are never going to have, if if I have anything to do with it, they're never going to have that control over my boys. Not that that word's not still not just a valuable word. If you know, like if they hear someone throwing the kike word around, they should be careful. Like, Hey, don't turn your back to that cat. Right, right, but right. but on the other hand, I don't want I want my boys to be so whole. You don't want it to be so powerful. Yeah, because it's it, it, what a and, and and I and I emphasize this too, and, and Jewish kids are raised a lot like black kids. Or they, you know, their parents whispered them to them: the world's out to get you. Right, that it's going to be really hard. You got to work twice as hard as everyone else. I I don't even want to tell my kids that. Right. You know, it's a um. It, I'm going way off here, but I'm, I was so proud of Kanye, the route he took. So, so, uh, he, he kind of gets that he's, he wants to go super high, high, right? The 500,000 foot view right. of, of how words work and how love works. And how, how did that affect the, uh, do you know what I'm saying about he, he, he's more red pill where a, a lot of, uh, the world isn't, isn't, isn't red pill. How did that affect the hip hop world? Did, did that drop a bomb on it as he started?
2: Yeah, I mean, swerving it off of
0: the conventional wisdom,
2: it went all over the place. You know, for the most part, the hip hop community turned their backs on him when, when he, you know, when he decided to go to the White House and he wore the MAGA hat and all that stuff. For the most part, I can't say everybody because that's right you wouldn't know that. Um, and they thought, you know, I think he said something about slavery being a choice, something crazy like that. But what you know, what I've learned with Kanye because then we had him on the show and I feel like we helped we helped give him a platform where he was he was open to speak for as long as he wanted to which some people criticize us to allow people but whatever I don't care about that part and he was able to get through his ideas and thoughts a lot more clearly to the audience and people understood him and my thing is whether you agree with him or not at least try to understand his position and you know and his perspective instead of just off you know really quick just negating it and i think it changed um i think we had a part a small part at least in helping kind of change you know the the the, the outlook on on kanye uh, the narrative that was being put out there for him but i definitely think he again like how you said about rick ross being an artist like kanye is is, is truly trying to be the freest artist possible uh. and and that is refreshing and 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 to me that's What I believe in art in general, like not just hip hop and all art, it should be free to do and explore anything without criticism. But we're humans and we suck. So everything we do is going to be criticized. But if you're a true artist, you have to expect that. You have to be ready for that. You know, don't get into art because you think you're going to please everybody and make a dollar, because that's probably the the last thing that will happen. Pleasing people and making a dollar if you're going into art, you know, the percentage of people that make it. But, uh, but yeah, he, he's, he's freeing himself. I'm not saying, I don't know that he's truly freed himself, you know, the way he wants to, but he, that's his goal. And he's, he's practicing that. He's actively practicing that.
0: Yeah. What, what, that's the theme of this show getting free. Right. Did you, do you, do you remember being a kid and an artist and, and those, um, I, I, I'm projecting onto you but up until your 20s maybe your mid-20s or something you build a cage for yourself right. an identity i'm this person i like this kind of music i like these kind of girls and then at some point the, the, you're trapped and you don't even realize you built a cage for yourself and you break out of it did you ever have yeah. one of those mo- moments as an artist yeah i mean absolutely uh, you know
2: when i was when i was a uh, maybe pre teen and a teen i was into 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 punk rock into thrash into metal i was a skater a wannabe surfer um i was you know i, I was into this and my mom she's she's kind of you know into the arts and so she kind of instilled this whole like freedom of art type of vibe and then i then i discovered n w a and public enemy and two life crew and run d m c and and that changed my my whole world perspective because I felt like that was the music of my generation, but I didn't want to neglect work. Like my whole thing is everything that you've experienced, everything that you were into should be a part of who you are. And just because you get into one genre of music or one thing, you shouldn't, you shouldn't like, that's it, you know, negate or, or, or shed that other part of you. Because like, for me, you know, I was a skater. I wasn't the best skater, but I was into, I was a, I was a skater. Nonetheless, like I lived that life. I feel like I'm always going to be a skater in my mm. heart. You know that 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 uh that attitude. You know, I loved punk rock. I loved thrash. I loved all that stuff because I I it, I needed that that energy, and I found it in N.W.A. and Public Enemy, and and it, and it kind of really I related more to it. But it, I feel like it's all punk because if if you hear a lot of the early stories of hip hop, they were they were kind of like side by side with the punk scene. They were both counterculture musics, and so it made sense to me when I found that out later. So yeah, but but to what you said. You know, when you get into your 20s and your early 30s and you're kind of like now as an adult trying to to fit in and 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 make a living and all this stuff, you do box yourself in. And then when you get kind of I feel like for men, it takes us a lot longer to really, truly mature and kind of find ourselves. Then I could you could shed all that and be like, no, nah, this is who I am. I'm all of these things. I'm all these things that maybe you don't accept or are not cool. with.
0: Did something happen? Did you have a, did you have a rock bottom? Did you, did you do ayahuasca? Did. You did.
2: No, I didn't have, I want, man, I wanted to do ayahuasca. <laughs> oh, yeah. When I went to Peru, but I, re, I wanted to do, I wanted to do peyote from watching the movie Young Guns.
0: Oh my goodness. My favorite movie of all time. That yeah. and Top Gun were on repeat in my house as a kid. I wanted to be in the spirit world as they were oh, saying. Oh my goodness. But I wanted to and do Did it. you like the Doors movie too with Val Kilmer?
2: I watched it. I don't, I can't, I can't remember, but I know I oh. watched it. And I'm pretty sure I liked it but i i left you know i was a kid when young guns came up but, but later on i said if i'm going to do something like that i want to do it in that environment like the desert i want a, a, yeah. a native american you know chief or somebody you know somebody to to like guide yeah, me through, yeah. that, through that stuff and um and then later on when i learned about ayahuasca and i had friends that went to the to the amazon and did it with a shaman in a, in, a, in, a, in a in a in a in an indian village in, in the amazon i was like i want to do it that way but when i went to peru to film the movie i was almost down to do it but then i was like this is not the right environment like uh, you know the the what we're doing here i don't think i don't think that this is the time to do it but i did want to do it um but i never did it and i would like to do it still i'm i'm afraid of it i'm afraid of what it's going to reveal to me to be honest yeah. with you but yeah. the rock bottom i had besides anything like that was the the 2008 crash the recession which threw me all the way to the ground financially, um, and I was being told, you know, by everybody that loved me, like, all right, this this pursuit of anything within the music realm, it's over for you. It's time to come to grips with it. It's time to, you know, grow up. You know, your oh, parents shit. want you to be, yeah, yeah. you know, your parents always yes. are like, come on, you're gonna, and you know, and the thing is, is that when I started this journey with my, with my boys, you know, we're from this area in Miami called Kendall, and, and in Miami in general, wasn't a big place in hip hop, and so people were like, "This is a ridiculous dream of yours. Like, you know, you don't have any connections to the scene, to the industry at large. You know, what are you guys doing?" And so, I mean, I we we made it through. I had I opened up a, a hip hop clothing store with with a partner. I, is
0: Nor from you? Is Nor from Kendall? No, no, Nor he's from Queens. He's from Left Rat Queens. Okay, okay, we will get to him. Sorry. Okay. Yeah.
2: yeah so uh, you know, I I started a marketing company. I was managing. I was. I started doing as much as I could and and building these different branches in this tree to try to like to fund the dream to keep it moving and keep it going, and um and then the and then you know I had an office after we closed down our store because we were getting raided by the cops because they thought we were drug dealers which is another story but um were you were you no we weren't oh, okay. I, the one thing I was trying to do is create a safe haven for parents to bring their kids to really be able to just have hip hop culture you know have access to it because. At the time, the stores that were available were all head shops, you know, where you find bong, right. weed, paraphernalia. Yep. And I don't I smoke I used to weed. love going into those. Yes. Well, I mean, for me, it was like, this, you know, I just felt like that wasn't fair for the hip hop kid who just wanted hip hop. Right. So anyways, um, we got raided. The cops. And you else?
0: didn't smoke weed. You didn't smoke weed.
2: I mean, I tried it in my early 20s. I sold it a little, you know, and it just didn't work for me. It wasn't something like I have nothing against it. All my friends are weed heads. But uh, it's just not for me.
0: Yeah, not for me either.
2: But anyways, the recession is is kind of what reset everything for me, and I had a, a, a make it or break it moment, and I had to decide like, am I just gonna you know give it all up? Am I gonna? Is this all a, you know, a, a, a fake dream? Like, is it just? It's not re you know real. Is it? I just I had to I had to really account for everything I had done, and my whole thing was I invested my my time, my life, into this, and. And I'm not, I don't care who's telling me what I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to batten down the hatches. And, and and that's when I came up with the, the idea to do the film in Cuba, the first film.
0: And that's when we started I, dealing with
2: the podcast stuff too.
0: Do you hear that people while he's knocked down instead of licking his wounds, he dreams bigger. Oh, okay. Fuck. I'm my shit's unraveling. I'm going to start making a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking I, crazy. I, I, never, I never made a movie. We were amateur filmmakers for sure. Did you know this young lady at the time?
2: At that specific time, no. But shortly after that, Karina Rain, Karina, who connected
0: us, and, and and at this point, um, in two thousand eight, um, did you have kids? No, 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 no kids.
2: I was holding out, man, because I knew that this lifestyle I was living was not to be a parent, and 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 I really I wanted to like I wanted kids. I just knew it wasn't the right time for it, which I know now is never the right time.
0: <laughs> right. Uh so. D- 2008 what happened like when i think of sh- people who got um jammed up by 2008 is this what happened you have a mortgage for a house and you're paying uh 1300 a month and then the mortgage the interest rates change and all of a sudden you have to pay 5400 a month and you can't and so you lose your house and everything starts unraveling is that how it goes or
2: no, not even i am paying rent in an apartment i'm paying a lease i'm paying uh rent at an office a studio uh and then also the way that i operated my business Oh, I wasn't paying taxes, so I got hit by the IRS at the same time. You know, I I came with that old young punk mentality, like "fuck the man." I'm not like what, and and in my head, I'm like, "What do they care about my measly taxes? That's not going to help anything." But they cared, and uh, and I had paid later on. But uh, I you know I had to pay the overhead, and then what I was doing also is I, I just dumped most of the money I made into all these different things that you know, we're, we didn't know if they were going to make money, just, you know, whether, whether it was album projects with, with my crew, whether it was uh, the mixtapes, whether it was a clothing line that we had developed, and you just didn't know what was going to make money. Some things made money, some things didn't. And so when the crash happened, and mind you, I didn't really, I knew that there was a crash, but I didn't think it was the crash that brought me down. I thought it was
0: my negligence. I thought I fucked up. I thought Like, I, miss, like just mismanaged, spread yourself too thin.
2: Yeah, which I was. I was I was learning everything on the job. Like I didn't have any like real mentors. I didn't I didn't know about managing finances and, and running businesses. I was just doing it. Right. And um. so I really blamed myself. I was like, I'm a failure. I suck. But it wasn't until later on when I finally was kind of getting out of it and doing and then Drink Champ started to take off, you know, years later and doing interviews because of that, that other people were saying. Man, I was going through it at that time. People that I respected in the industry, man, that was a tough time for me. And I'm like, holy shit, it wasn't just me. You know, so sometimes, you know, in those in those moments, you think it's all just you. It's all you're the only yeah. one going through it. Yeah. And, but what I didn't do at that time, and I and I preached, which obviously these people didn't do either, is I didn't I didn't show it. I didn't go out there and, you know, wasn't bummed about life. I wasn't, you know, blaming things or people. I was just, I just I just, you know, consolidated as much as I could, got back to just ramen noodles.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And, you know, I had some great friends that would be like, yo, man, you got to get out the house. We, we got you on a couple beers or a couple drinks at the, at the club, at the bar. Yeah. You need to get out, you know, because I'm like, I can't spend no more.
0: Do you remember those friends still?
2: But they're still they're still my friends. They're my friends yeah. from high school that are part yeah. of my crew that that when we all realize we're not going to become these uh, millionaires and sell platinum records. A lot of my friends were like, "Well, I'm going to go back to school, or well, I'm going to go do this, or I'm going to do that." But they're all stayed in the supportive role of, of of the company and the crew and what I do.
0: I did I did some stuff as a young man, early twenties, and it and it caused a house to be raided. And when the house got raided, a handful of friends I was close with got busted for cocaine. And it, and it was no fault of their own. It was just me being a fucking idiot. It, it's a great story. I have to tell it some other time. But three, three of the cats wanted to fucking dime me out. Even though, like, it would have done, they wouldn't have benefited from it, right? And one of the dudes was like, "Hey, man, that like we dime him out, and nothing like our shit doesn't get better, right, right, right." And uh, this this person went to war for me, and 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 I ended up staying friends with him flash forward to like maybe 15 years ago. Nah, uh, yeah, about 15 years ago and and through just staying close with this person, I was able to get them a job where they made a million and a half dollars. Oh wow. <laughs> and I was just th- and I I never thought about that until about a couple months ago. I was like, "Holy shit, but like I owe that person something. My whole life in my right. head."
2: That that's that's exactly Do You know
0: what I-, I mean? It's like I owe that per- like not not like it's not it doesn't weigh on me. But, like, I, I want part of my life is to pay that person back if I can.
2: That's how I feel when people say, you know, do you feel like you've made it or you've reached success? And I'm like, in my mind, true success is when I can give all those guys that are a part of my organization, a part of my crew that were supportive, at least give them access to jobs if they wanted them um, and give them access to things that, that they would like to experience. And that's what I do as much as possible. You know, if I'm going out of town to, to, to a, a big concert, a festival and I can, you know, get the, the the these guys on the on the trip, boom, they're going. You know, everything paid yeah. for. You know, or if I could get them, a, if one of them wants to do, one of my friends wants to do photography for for what we do, boom, he's got the photography gig. Yeah. So that's that's that to me is the ultimate goal that everybody at least has the opportunity to 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 be involved if they want to, and that to me is success.
0: Your mom and dad are both Cuban. Yeah, yeah. And um, who who instilled in you? uh, this, um, this work ethic, this, 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 I don't know what you call it, but you have it. I I
2: don't know, man. I mean, I, you're an
0: entrepreneur through and through.
2: So I was raised mainly by my mother. My, my dad is a, is a a Vietnam veteran Marine. And he came back with all that stuff, the PTSD, the alcoholism, all that stuff. And it, and it, that's my mom and my grandfather. That's cool. (laughs) That's cool. Um, and I never, I never got a chance to meet my grandfather. He passed right before the year before I was born. But anyways, uh, I was raised mainly by by my by my mother because it didn't work out for them. And I was born in L.A. We got to Miami because my dad came over here to Miami uh, in in the heydays of the '80s, the cocaine cowboys. You know, I, I yeah, always, I always say that there must have been good jobs for for veterans, you know, you know, war veterans, Marines, Cubans in Miami at that time frame. And he went to school too. He, he got an accounting degree. So he had all the right uh, job skills for, for that time for me in Miami.
0: How old were you when you came to Miami?
2: We moved back and forth a couple times. I would say I stayed roughly around 10 years old. Okay, so you remember L.A. a little bit? Absolutely, and I would go back okay. every year. I still have family out there.
0: Are your mom and dad first generation? Is your mom born in Cuba and your oh, dad yeah, born in
2: Cuba? Born in, both born in Cuba. I'm first generation here. Of course yeah. you are. And I'm only child, so... You know, just my so the work ethic part. My mom, just seeing her work. I was a latchkey kid, seeing her work. You know, uh, English is her second language. She didn't she didn't speak it well, but she but she worked and she you know put food on the table as best as she could. On the flip though, although my dad, you know, there's some horror stories with him growing up and him coming in and out of my life. From a distance though, and whenever he would come around, he was a businessman. He 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 had. He had become. Uh, there was a, a security company called Burns Security at the time. They're like uh, rivaling uh, uh, Brinks or something like that. Uh huh. Yep. And so he he rose from the Miami offices to be the the vice president of the company, and he was in Times Square, He had his office, and I remember seeing that, and I'm like, wow, this is this is cool. And then he left that, and then he started opening up GNCs wow. uh, when they first started, like and. You know, he was like a serial entrepreneur, and he would like fail, and and he would go dirt broke, and then I would see him somehow manipulate the credit system and come back up and and open up other businesses. So from a distance, I saw that, and he's my dad, so that inspired me. Then I saw my mom working her ass off to make sure that we could live in our one bedroom apartment with some food, and so I think those two things inspired me. Now, had I wished my dad would have been more hands on and teach me about business, teach me certain things, that would have helped me. Tremendously, and uh, but we've never had a good relationship like that. But he he tried in his own ways when he opened some of his businesses. He was he he was like, "You're welcome to come in and and be a part of them and work with them." But it just never worked out. But I think those two things kind of like are are the foundation.
0: Um, what what jobs did you see your mom have?
2: She worked. I don't remember in L.A. She worked for like an oil company, a gas company in L.A. But here in in Miami, she worked for Miami Dade Community College. And she started in the registration office and she ended up working her way into the arts department, which she loved. And through her, I was able to go to school for free, which I didn't Hmm. finish. Community college, I didn't finish it because I was just too busy trying to do this music stuff. and I didn't have, I just was never a book guy. Like that was never my thing. I felt so terrible because she was so disheartened by me. She's like, it was free. Yeah. You could have, you know, just done it. It's free. Yeah. That once she went to LA to visit family for one summer, I found out what credits I needed, and I took the credits. Um, I got my diploma. She came back, took her dinner. I'm like, here, and she thought oh. she thought I made a like a fake. She's like, ah, this is not real. I go, no, no, no. I went to school and I did it because of you. Wow, I, you know, I felt terrible that I, that I didn't go, and yeah, so so I was able to I graduated, got my uh, AA at Miami Miami Dave where she worked at.
0: I, I was an undergrad at uh, for like ten years. I never graduated. I'm not joking. I went to City College and I went to UC Santa Barbara for probably another seven years.
1: My seven parents, years?
0: Yeah. Damn. My parents dumped so much money. My mom, not my parents. My right. mom dumped so much money. That's crazy. Yeah. Holy shit! I'm glad I didn't end up fucking. But seven years? That's, that's a lifetime. Man. A lot of girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that's, parties, I guess. That, that's a lot of girlfriends. When you, when you watch your um, mom do this, do you, do you think it, what do you think it does to us boys to be raised by our moms and see how hard our moms work? And I bring that up. It's kind of a loaded question, but I always hear there's this like movement that women are strong and women are strong and women, there's this like women's strong movement. And I'm almost like offended by it because it's like, fuck you. I know women are strong. Like, right, right. Like I saw what my mom did, like almost like you're belittling. I, I, I don't know.
2: I I think there's pros and cons to being raised by just your mother. Um, of course.
0: I, yeah, Of course. Yeah. And, and I think the biggest problem in this country is not having dads. Don't get me wrong. For like, sure. It, it's the leading correlate from everything from cancer to going to jail. I, right. I, we all need dads and the government should get the fuck out and, and let p- dads raise their kids. We but. Just, we, both active parents are crucial in kids. Yes. You know, yes. whether the parents are together or not. You need those two. And
1: my dad was there.
0: I was lucky. My dad was there. I was lucky.
2: And, and, and you know, I don't want to throw my dad completely on the bus. He came in and out and, you know, and, and I just think he had a limited capacity because of everything he had been through. He also came uh, from Cuba. He was smuggled out in a program called Peter Pan wow. at 13 years old from Cuba, not wanting to leave his family. They just felt like he had to go because they thought he was going to be killed by the communists. And then he was in an orphanage in Washington state from the Caribbean, a 13 year old kid in Washington state. You know, in an orphanage. And then from there, without his parents being in the states, he volunteered for Vietnam. And in in, in the Marines, he got shit because they, they, they were trying to make sure he wasn't a, a spy, a communist spy.
0: Operation Peter Pan was a clandestine mass exodus of over 14,000 unaccompanied Cuban minors aged six to eighteen. Whose fucking idea was that? It was and he and he held it against his parents
2: for a while. Um, because imagine him, he had his whole world torn apart because they thought that he was on a black list, that the communists were going to kill him or, or whatever, whatever their reasons were. Right. Right. And so when my grandparents came to the States, he was in Vietnam. So they didn't know if they were going to see him alive, but uh, I don't know. That story's crazy.
0: (laughs) That story's fucking nuts.
2: Yeah, man. So how did did your mom get here? She came on another program. It was kind of like a lottery system. Her and my aunt, they came before their parents as well, but they came on they came on a regular flight. They came to Miami, and then what <laughs> we're doing in, in Florida, South Florida at the time, which people don't realize, you know, South Florida wasn't this big Cuban community as it is today. Prior to um, in Mariel, which is when Castro released, you know, opened up the island, released the prisons and, and and the asylums. They would tell when people would get here from Cuba, they would actually give them free tickets, bus tickets to anywhere in the states. Like if you got family go because they were trying to like you know like just not have so many people just here like release the pressure and so my mom ended up in california <laughs> and my dad ended up in california also because he was based in san diego and so oh,
0: through the military right right through Marines was he,
2: and, he, yeah no no and so and so the, and what the cuban community was doing at the time is they created these networks and these social clubs and we were part of one in 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 los angeles and they allowed uh, cubans to meet each other and that's how they met
0: and, and got married and had you. Did they get married? They got married. Uh,
2: they were married a couple years before I was born. And they lived in Anaheim, Anaheim Hills. And then I was born and then shit started going south. And me and my mom ended up moving to Southgate, where my family lived at the time in, in California. And then my dad moved to, to Miami. And so they tried to work it out a couple of times. That's why it's like a little blurry for me because we would move in here. And then my dad would have like these crazy PTSD episodes guns drawn, screaming, Vietnamese, speaking Vietnamese, like wild shit. And then Meon would like leave in the middle of the night and jump on a plane and go back to California. Oh shit, it was like a movie. It was yeah, it was it was pretty wild. But but like I what I was trying to say with all this is I, I kind of don't want to throw him under the bus because when I realized everything this guy had gone through, yeah. Like like you know like yeah I'm you know I'm I'm disappointed in, in our relationship, but I understand it.
0: I right. It. Right. It's it's weird how that happens when you become an adult, right? There's things I can think of so many things that I thought that my parents did was dumb when I was a kid. Now I'm like, who the fuck am I to judge that? Right. Like I can't
2: imagine going through half the shit he went through. And and that was also how about his
0: parents having to give him
2: away. Oh man. And my grandparents were amazing. They they lived in Inglewood. They were there during the riots. I was talking to them on the phone during the LA riots. But um Going back to the films, that's the that was the whole premise of me going to Vietnam, because my dad and me being apart, what I I guess what I filled that void with was I was into all these war movies, all these Vietnam War movies. It, in my <laughs> mind, I I was in Vietnam in a past life as a kid, and so you know GI Joe and the A Team, but then it was like Full Metal Jacket and Platoon and Deer yeah. Hunt and those movies. Like I, I I obsessed over these movies, and my dad would give me he gave me all his stuff. From the military he's like he didn't want any of it so i would look at the bottom of the boots and if there was dirt i was like oh this dirt was was in vietnam so so i say that i went to vietnam i was like i never in a million years thought i would be in vietnam but then i traveled to Sanh, where he was based and where he fought these crazy battles that the marines fought at Sanh, high in the mountains deep in the, in the jungle and i got to go there to the base and, and like be there and it was, it was surreal when did you do that uh, Vietnam, I think I went in 2015 or 16. Who'd you go with? The same crew. We filmed yeah. our movie there. We, and, and again, and going back to hip hop, like all this stuff has happened because of hip hop because this journey is also because these are hip hop films that I'm making. And so we connected with the hip hop scene out there, which is amazing. But that was a goal. Like this is this is my coming home as well. Cuba, we call it coming home because we're like following kind of like a family kind of route. But also we say wherever we find hip hop, we find home. And so Cuba, you know, was following my roots, and then Vietnam was a part of my roots as well because I, I feel that Vietnam had a big impact that war on on my family dynamic.
0: Those are some hardcore movies you just mentioned. I mean, obviously, Full Metal Jack and Platoon are hardcore, but the fact that you mentioned Deer Hunter, yeah, man, I haven't. I mean, I was a little was a kid bled. when that came out. Oh, I know you, right? Now that's nothing in a movie, I bet. Probably not, but I mean, it was pretty intense in that movie. <laughs> crazy did how did you get to see that that was an r-rated movie did you sneak that like on vhs or how did you see that That was the crazy shit
2: about my mom like she was like that's her freedom of art she she felt like you know she had her 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 ways of you know trying to like shelter me but she really believed in me just seeing whatever and you know and watching whatever like she's the one that bought me the nwa tape yeah because you know, i couldn't get it because of the parental advisory she bought me two live crew now when yeah. she heard it she's like what the fuck did i buy you
1: yeah you know, yeah like,
2: but she really was this free, artsy person that for the most part was like, you know, she felt like if she loved me and she instilled the right things in me, like there's nothing exterior that should influence me. And, and I feel I actually believe that.
0: Uh, for those of you who don't, Deer Hunter, that's interesting, Caleb, that you brought that up. 1978, I had a, I had uncles. My dad had four brothers and they would they let me. You know what I mean? That's how I smoked my first cigarette. That's how I saw the first time I saw like boobs on a screen, I think they they took me to Saturday Night Fever with John Travolta. Do you remember that movie? Yeah,
2: absolutely. But see, I'm I'm born in '75, so obviously I saw this movie way later. But to me, it was a brand new movie when I saw because that was yeah. that era too, you know.
0: Yeah. It, I I don't know how it is anymore, but like it was real. Like kids didn't see R-rated movies when we were kids. Yeah. Like that that was naughty shit. Now my mom I
2: took it. me to see uh, Eddie Murphy Delirious and oh. Raw. She went with me. <laughs> Which was awkward at the time. Do
0: Do you, do you know KFRC six ten AM in uh, the Bay Area from back in the seventies no, no. and eighties? No, they had uh, Doctor Don Rose. He was the DJ, but anyway, he he would get, he gave away free tickets, and I was I was a little kid, and I won tickets to Rodney Dangerfield at Shoreline Amphitheater, and my mom took me. Definitely remember Rodney Dangerfield for sure. Oh my goodness, I was just blown away. I thought he was a, a, a god um i w- i want to keep sorry 49 minutes into the show i am supposed to get through the pictures in the first 3 minutes we're we're, we're, <laughs> we're all up. um Caleb i'm going to pull these up just so i can control them and then uh you you're doing an amazing job but if i do this let's see if i do this uh to where were we to uh, dj Khaled. okay rick ross uh buster rhymes
2: buster's cool as hell man very supportive of my films early on, he actually warned me and said, uh, "You're not going to be able to keep doing these films the way you're doing them." Oh, and why was that? He felt that the popularity of Drink Champs was going to put me in danger. Oh, and because we were going to some dicey places in the in the film, in the films, and he just was like, "You, you know, you got to be careful." He warned me early, like a couple years back already. Um, so but he 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 really,
0: really supported it and, and, and showed a lot of love to the films. I was in uh, New York as a kid. And this was like, like, fuck, man, just like when the Internet maybe maybe I wasn't a kid. Maybe I was in my tw- early 20s, but the Internet was just like becoming something. And uh, I was uh, downtown New York and a car pulled up and it was like a um, it was some sort of. Mercedes, and on the hood there was this—you know those satellite dishes that are on the top of RVs. On yeah. the roof of the car was one of those, <laughs> and then out came out Busta Rhymes, and then I looked at the license plate, and it was his car. <laughs> yeah, Buster's <is> a—it <laughs> was probably for like one of those giant f- car phones. He's a legend, man, and he,
2: he truly commands a room when he walks in.
0: Uh Kanye, dope,
2: yeah. Kanye was great. That 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 episode was really a pleasure to do.
0: Uh, was that was that familial with him like when he leaves there do you feel connected yeah i
2: i would say so i mean nori has a different like we nori and i have different connections to to a lot of the guests nori you know was in for most of the guests a lot of them he was an active artist at the time that they were so they were peers in that sense i was an active dj behind the scenes and more locally in miami but i was doing a, i was working a lot of the records cuz i had a marketing company as well that worked for a lot of these labels so i worked with kanye he wouldn't remember that i reminded him of that but he wouldn't remember that because he did it in every city but i i had a different connection but yeah after we do an episode like that where someone releases so much of the, their energy and you know and does so much we're we're definitely connected
0: uh the show for those of you guys who missed the beginning is called it's called drink champs you can find it anywhere just Google it and it it pops up. It's yeah, we're an audio
2: podcast. We're on YouTube and we're on television. If you have Revolt TV on your cable,
0: and right. it's just these two guys, right? Well, I mean, it's not just these two guys, but these are the two front men, uh, yeah. DJ uh, EFN, who we have on the show here, and Nori. Nori, who's a legend as well. Nori, uh, more Kanye. This is nuts. I was a crazy digital underground fan. Yeah, man. Rest in peace, Shock G. Crazy. Well, I, got, I
2: got an opportunity to speak to shock G before he passed at a convention years ago.
0: So what was, was Tupac is, is that where I first heard Tupac was Tupac part of digital yeah. underground? He was okay. I thought he
2: was, so. He was a, he was like a roadie. Um, at, the, <laughs> at at first he was a young kid rolling with them and, and it was, yeah, he, they gave him his beginnings.
0: Like they, they, they kind of helped start his career and gave him opportunities and uh and he he quickly exploded he got shot out of there like a cannon right he did a i think i always fuck up the name of the song but it
2: was a it was a song for a a movie soundtrack with i think dan ackroyd if i'm not wrong um and they did a song and Pac rhymed on that song and his verse was phenomenal it was a digital underground song and i think from that you know it helped him get his deal his solo deal and And then we started to see the, you know, the the
0: beginnings of, of Tupac, the artist. Am I, um, there are these, there are these groups, these rap groups that are just so unique. They kind of, at least in my opinion, they transcend the genre. What happened? And and Digital Underground was one of them. Like, I I don't know what was that rap? I don't know what that was that they were doing.
2: It yeah, no, like- they were they were definitely hip hop. They just they were creative. They were Shock G was was a, a musical genius. He could play all kinds of instruments and and he and he always wanted to explore different sounds and, and be very creative.
0: What happened to them? They just kind of they they had had a couple albums and then they just kind of disappeared, right?
2: Yeah, I mean he talks about it a lot in the episode, but Shock, I think, kind of, he was, he was like the, one of those artists that wanted to be free. Yeah. Um, and he just, you know, I think he, I don't know if he got bored with it or he wanted to do different things. He just didn't want to be tied down to one thing. And so I think that's, that's part of what happened. And he kind of gave his blessing for uh, this other artist, a younger artist, to, to actually go on, help them, the guys go on tour and play him, play Humpty. So they call him Young Hump. But he gave the blessing.
0: Oh, so that's wow, so that's not him.
2: Well, no, now if you see it like in the past few years. Back then, yes, that was him. But Young Hump is not is not him. No, no, Young Hump is out now to, like they'll tour now with Young Hump.
0: Oh shit, that's so crazy. I thought that was hum- I thought that was Humpty Hump.
2: No, no, no. That that was Shock G playing that and then sometimes he would have his brother just to really confuse people. But uh, that was him.
0: Is that where Eminem got all the um uh um alter alter egos? I mean, Is, that's or, been th- has that been in the rap game forever? Yeah,
2: yeah, that's been a thing in hip hop. I think. It's cool. it's definitely, weird. definitely, Shock G was one of the f- first to really, really commit to it. I mean, on our yeah. hall, he he came out and I think had his brother as Shock G next to him or something. It, yeah, was, I, I like what the fuck.
0: I don't think I even knew any of that until you just said it. Yeah. I mean, of course, I knew. Mar- I know Marshall Mathers, Eminem. You know, I, I know all that, but wow. Okay, shit. Lesson, schools in session. Uh, let's keep going here. Twista. Twista's ill. Wow. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, it, he really is amazing, right? Yeah, I mean the the speed at which he spits with the with clarity. Yeah. That's the most important part with the clarity. Yep. Um, How does, how do how does someone become a rapper do do all rappers start as closet rappers? Does everyone rap in hiding when they start? I'm sure everybody
2: has their own journey. I'm sure there's people that are rapping as a joke. Right. And they're taken serious. Some people, yeah. Closet rappers. And, you know, I, I think anybody that's a fan of the music thinks of themselves as, as someone that could rap, like I was rapping on my mixtapes, right? You know, but then I kind of was like, ah, you know, I'm not really a rapper. But I, I was like, ah, I could, I could write some stuff. But um, you know, I think th- it depends on the generation too. We live in in different times where people, uh, you know, reach certain levels in different ways. You know, I feel like the era that we're talking about here, you know, it's it's accessibility to studios, to producers. It was that was kind of like the the gatekeeping in the beginning to, to to making it as an artist because it was so difficult and so expensive to record yourself. So you could be the the wackest rapper in the world, but if you got into a studio and you had you got a producer to work with you, you're already ahead of anybody that's even you know could be way better than you. People already start acknowledging you as an artist because you got to that part.
0: Um, tech, it was like that in uh in in movie editing too. So until Apple put out the software Final Cut Pro, you needed millions of dollars, right, to have an editing suite. Then all of a sudden, overnight, you needed ten thousand bucks or less. That's right. And I just and, and I just uh, I made all my first movies living in a car, plugging the computer into a cigarette lighter.
2: Yeah, same thing with
0: filming the cameras and even the phone.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. change the game. Yeah, the phone the phone you can make a whole movie now on the yeah. iPhone it's 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 crazy. So and and that's um the uh in your movie oh in one of your movies the one from 2012 you go to Cuba and right. you run and in you in the ghetto you find a guy who's got a studio set up in a fucking closet with a uh, Pro Tools. Yeah in the mountains. Yep. Yeah a legit studio.
2: Yeah as legit as they could make it they hand crazy. me down parts and film you know in the corner of his room. I remember there was a in the film there's crabs. I don't know what the fuck the crabs are doing on the mountain, but there's these crabs like invading his home and stuff. And uh yeah, we, we that was, that was dope. We had a, we had a really uh sentimental moment because we walked around that neighborhood. We were starving. And one thing is hard to find out there is food in Cuba. And we, we bought uh some just dry, you know, uncooked pasta. And there was this young girl that's, that was, we were like, how do we even make this? And the girl was like, Oh, I could cook it for you so we go you know into her home which was like a shanty town area and her mom had one eye missing and her and her friend they made they cooked the food for us and they were just so happy to 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 like feed us it was just like a super emotional moment and one thing that wasn't in the film that, that happened is they've served us the food with their best silverware which was by our standards you know just some crappy stuff And they're there, like, watching us all happy to see us, you know, that they're feeding us. And I go to to take a a fork full of food, and there's a maggot.
0: Oh. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And I had to think really quickly because they're watching us. They're all happy. Like, this could completely ruin this moment for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just thought of that dude, Andrew Zimmer, I think, or Zimmerman or whatever that guy's name that, that goes to places and eats bugs.
0: Oh, right, right. right. I was
2: already a fan of Anthony Bourdain, and that's kind of like an inspiration in the films as well. But this Andrew dude, he goes and he eats all these crazy bugs, and he obviously is alive. So I was like, well, you know, what's one little maggot? So I just took it down real quick.
1: Oh, and you're then, a
0: boss.
2: At that oh. same moment, this local guy that's been following us around the whole trip, we call him, we nicknamed him the zombie. He's a wild dude. He, he just, he found us. He wasn't even with us. He just found us in this maze of this shanty area that we were in, shantytown area. And he just comes in barging in. And he was always hungry and always thirsty, always wanting beers and always wanting to eat with us. Yeah. And he barged I go, "Hey man, you hungry, bro?" Sit down. <laughs> and then he sat down and he started just grubbing.
0: But yeah, I remember I, that guy in the film. I I used to hang out with a lot of homeless dudes in college. I ran basically a homeless shelter in my backyard. I'd like, and I kept a list of all. And in one year, I had two hundred different people sleeping in my backyard. And. Uh, I was concerned. I was thinking, did that guy ruin the movie at all? Like he was, he was too much. No, we
2: we grew. I mean, for you, we grew attached to him. He became a character for the film, I think. And, and he showed parts, stuff that we wanted. Like he was a super avid hip hop head. Okay. Um, He started spitting lyrics. Like his, the only English he knew was from lyrics. And just the thing is, is that he, he was, he had mental issues for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he was harmless in that sense. The only thing is we would wake up and he would, like, break into the, the place we were staying, which we were staying at. A, we rented from a, a, a family in a home and they were on the second floor. We were on the first floor. He would just break in and be jacking our beers. And, and if we had food, he would sit down and eat. But, I mean, at the same time, they have no, like, they don't, they don't have food over there. Like, they're literally, right. they, the families were willing to kill the one chicken they had for, like, two years to feed us because they wanted to take care of us. People like, are living day to day,
0: day to day there, like really day to day.
2: It 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 was it was heart wrenching to see it, but to see the flip of it is there was a, a certain kind of happiness that we'll never have here. Yeah. Because they kind of like just came to grips with their situation. They live day by day, but they find happiness in in very, you know, in in, in the small things in life that, that actually matter.
0: When when you get to that, there there's a saying people who don't talk to strangers don't talk to angels. Mm. I could see that, and uh, there is a synchronicity that happens when life gets so hard that starts to become apparent, and, and it's often around food. Right. Like what, you know, when when I first uh, my first day becoming homeless in my life, the first day I was ever homeless, I was just sitting out in the middle of this park, and I'm like, "Oh fuck, I'm homeless," and I'm like, "What am I gonna do?" And it's this, just you, just and and my dog okay just me and my dog out in the middle of this field and uh this dude comes i was in my 20s and this dude comes walking up and he's got a black garbage bag and it's this black dude with dreads and i had kicked this dude out of my house probably five times in the last two years like just some homeless dude and i'd be like he'd be in my yard or something or he would just walk in my front door i was in college and be like, dude what the fuck are you doing and i would just be an asshole to him right Cause that, right. that was what you're supposed to do. If some strange dude walks in your house,
1: right, this right. fucking
0: dude walks up to me. I'm tripping on how I'm going to, what I'm going to do. Like, what am I doing homeless? And he opens this garbage bag and he goes, Hey dude, you want a chicken? And it's a bag full of plastic rotisserie chickens, all fucking perfect in plastic containers. Right. And I that. looked up to the heavens. I was like, yep. And that dude ended up being like one of my homies for the next three years. He taught me the ropes. Yeah, man. Crazy. Yeah. Right around food like you did like you were by the way if you have you can go on youtube and you can watch this movie and it's a real hardcore scene they're basically out in the middle of uh, nowhere nowhere ghetto land and if you live in the united states it's hard to imagine these kinds of places um but uh and there's no one has any food and and some stranger an angel feeds them
2: yeah they have plenty of alcohol though yeah (laughs) that's how i feel like that's how they keep the cuban people docile
0: um I, I, ha- I think that uh, what we talked about earlier is that the two biggest issues going on on the planet right now, the two biggest correlates of problems are nothing what people think, uh, but I think the wise people like me – sorry to stroke myself um, – know that it's, it's diet and, um, and, and parents. I think that that, that is like – that's it. Everything else I think is the great Thomas Sowell, uh, the economist out of the Hoover Institute, says like how you need – everyone needs both parents at home. Right, You have like you have the greatest chance and people like me and you did fine without having both parents at home. It, it, I'm, I'm not saying it's like but 85 percent of the dudes in jail, it's not because they're black or white or Cuban or it's because they didn't have fucking both parents at home. That's the correlate. And what's right. weird is you can look at that for cancer, obesity, all those things. The strongest correlate. It's not food drought. It's not how rich or poor you are. It's fucking having both parents at home. Right. And uh, when I when I see your show and I see just the mass, of the the culture, um, and I and I don't I I don't mean to ambush you, even though I am. Do you ever get concerned that the name of the show is Drink Champs, and sure. that um, and that and that you're kind of that, that it's it's not a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. kind of like 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 i'm I'm so bummed at the rock and lebron 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 pushing sprite or the rock pushing energy during this this pandemic he launches an ice cream, a fucking hard alcohol, and a fucking energy drink. and it's like, dude, black people and samoans, that's the last thing they fucking need ice right. cream alcohol. Do you ever think about that? All of us,
2: yeah, no, that's a huge concern of mine um that the I would hate for the lasting legacy of drink champs is to perpetuate. Alcoholism or drinking lifestyle,
0: um, and I don't see that on the show. I watched a shitload of them, and I don't see it. But it is the name of the show, and there are alcohol bottles everywhere. But I right. don't see motherfuckers being like, "You got to drink every." If you watch the show, you got to be fucking drunk or go by the shrug. I don't. I don't see that in your show, right? And 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 the ba- we we try to preach
2: balance as well. But the thing is, obviously, unless you watch enough of us, you might not catch that message. But both Nori and I, like his wife opened up a, a juice bar. And so we we both believe in juicing. I believe in fasting. We both believe in fasting. We both believe, like I'm a, you know, not to say that this is any better, but for whatever reason, I became a pescatarian. And not to say that, like I said, it's not to say it's any better, but it, it works for me. Yeah. And it was yeah. one thing that I do. You know, I, I truly believe that
0: you don't look like you drink, by the way. What do you mean? Like you like you're you're a bright-eyed. You you have beautiful complexion and you're bright eyed.
2: Yeah, I don't. I mean, I definitely. Well, I'm, we're drinking. I mean, maybe the balance thing. I don't know. And you know, I do CrossFit. I don't consider myself a CrossFitter because I don't have the the fitness level of a true CrossFitter. But I've been doing it for years, and it's done wonders for me. And and I'm like like I I need to go to the box and to the gym, so that helps me. And and Nori works out. And like I said, we we do advocate for balance. To be, you know, something that's very important. But I know that that message could be lost to the audience. And the one thing that I'm always worried about, and that I'm really worried about, is the legacy of the show being something else. Um, and so, so yeah, so 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 yeah. To your point, I am concerned about that. And I and I do another thing, just really quick. Like for our audio podcast, like I I've done a PSA, especially for people who have might find themselves having, you know, addiction problems or anything like that. That, that I, that I made sure that we put in there and, and, you know, little things like that, that we'll try to do.
0: Um, at, at 50, I never thought anyone uh, would want to ever see me work out. And about a couple months ago, an, an aspiring filmmaker came over to my house and he's like, Hey, I want to film you work out. And I was like, Oh fuck. No one wants to see this fucking old dude work out. But I did, but he did and he filmed it and he came over every week for like five weeks and filmed it. And he put out these little videos. And I cannot fucking believe how much they fucking inspired people. They do. It's crazy.
2: You know how, how many videos I watched prior to, to, to committing to finally doing CrossFit? I, I hadn't done anything on, on a fitness level since high school. You know, I played a little football in high school and I played, you know, street basketball and street football. Since then, it was, you know, late night studio sessions, eating at Denny's, you know, in Taco Bell. Midnight. Like I was terrible health. And one of my friends, one of my boys that that I've mentioned, I have mentioned his name is Charlie. He's like, and he was always been into like working out and fitness, but his uncle had a huge transformation through CrossFit. And it was a fair, it was eight years ago, actually. And he's like, yo, it it was a a box that opened up called CrossFit Brink. And he told me about it. But I was like, man, I can't imagine myself doing something like that. Like, that's like going in my mind, zero to a hundred. Like, let me, let me start jogging or something. And I watched videos those videos were so helpful to prepare me mentally to doing it I was watching people in my age group watching people who were new at it and their journey that they that they documented and then I did it and I almost died <laughs> you know those first 2 months I couldn't move but I just kept going I kept going and that that it's kind of like I tell people that what keeps me committed is never wanting to feel sore like that ever again in life that's why I keep going back because if you take off a week or two and you go back and, you know, after that first or second while you're, you can't move again. So, but, but yeah, man, it was, those videos were helpful. So, so kudos yeah. to you for making those.
0: Is that, did you meet uh, Karina there?
2: No, actually, when I told her that I was doing CrossFit and about CrossFit, she was not a believer. She, but then she got into it because of me and she's, whoo, she's way more into it than <laughs> I am. She's, she, and she's really good at it actually.
0: Yeah. She got pretty hardcore.
2: She's super hardcore. I mean, if I the thing is, I started doing CrossFit before Drink Champs, Drink Champs kind of changed and before kids. Both of those things changed things for me. Um, I'm pretty hardcore when it comes to like if I have to if I'm going to adhere to a diet, I need to like nothing could be in the home. You know, I, I adhere to it and that's it. And so now with kids and my girl lives with me and we have different, you know, styles of eating and the food that's introduced. And then, you know, now I do Drink Champs and the drinking and all that. Whatever, whatever the excuses are that you know, it's changed. You know, kind of like how my fitness level, but but there's still so many benefits that I get out of doing CrossFit for
1: sure. Uh,
0: the show and its influence is beyond just the name of it, uh, of of course, of course. I just uh, I, and and to the to back to Drink Champ, yeah.
2: First of all, we didn't know that it was gonna take off. So number one, we didn't we were doing a show on Sirius XM before on XM before the merger. That's how far back. And then Sirius XM nori and i were doing it out of my studio here in kendall it was called militainment crazy raw radio which nori named the show and it was a show we did weekly for like three years it didn't take off nobody i don't think nobody cared and a couple years later i you know i introduced the idea of doing a podcast to nori the name was something because we were always drinking in the studio you're always drinking backstage and you're always having these crazy conversations around liquor with your friends and that was the premise like Let's bring those conversations that we have naturally backstage or in the studio, uh, in a podcast form. And that's where it came from. To the front. How did you meet Nori? So Nori was when I had my hip hop clothing store with my partner, Eddie Giggs, we had a store called crazy goods. Everything revolves around crazy, crazy hood. Um, which goes back to mental state to be honest with you, but, uh, crazy goods, was a, a hip hop store in, in that era? Like this is a uh, ninety seven, we open Miami. Yep, yeah, Miami in Kendall area. Uh, you know when an artist came into town, a hip hop artist. I, remember, I told you that commercial radio really wasn't wasn't doing a lot for hip hop at the time. You know the artist pre internet promotion would go to do in stores. They would go to oh. a record store, or they'd go to a, if there was hip hop stores, they'd go to hip hop store. So my boy uh, Phil, he was the promoter that was taking around Nori, who was on his first promo run for Capone and Noriega, the group that he was a part of. The first album they released called The War Report. And what year was this? I would say this is late 97, maybe early 98. Wow. And he came to my store uh, and we just, I had my, 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 at that time I had a digital four track and I would you know get freestyles from anybody I would come across. And he was buzzing. He was a huge buzz, you know. Also, as Latinos, we would also identify who were the Latinos in the community, and and you know, and really be hyped about them. And he was throwing little Spanish words. He's half Puerto Rican in his in his in his lyrics. So we were super, you know, geeked to meet him. And he came through with his crew and his crew and my crew. They hit it off. Him and I hit it off. He did a bunch <laughs> of freestyles for me, which was huge at the time. And we stayed connected. And I ended up doing. Then he put out his first solo al- uh, album and i promoted i booked him for his first solo show in miami
0: this is pre 2000
2: yeah yeah this is 998 for sure this is crazy and we like again we stay connected and and you know i think he was smart also cuz i think he made these really solid connections with dj's and 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 street team people around the country which was smart of him to have that network of people and he was almost on every mixtape of mine and then capone got out of prison his partner and I did, they hired me to do his, the Capone Home concert here in Miami. I did that for them in, I think, 2000, I believe it was around then. And like I said, we were just, we just, we, we were just advocating for each other. I would hear that he would talk about me in Hot 97 in New York. You know, he's all over the mixtapes here. At that time, having a co-sign of an artist of that caliber for a, a local DJ like me did, did a lot for me. So I was always like, man, I want to I want to be able to give something back to this dude for, for you know, doing so much for me because he didn't have to do any of that stuff. He wasn't charging me to do anything. Right. And So, you know, long story short, if, because it's a long story. He ends up moving to Miami at a point. He did like a reggaeton album. He felt like the industry, the, the, the English hip hop industry kind of turned their backs on him because he was like really new with that that sound. And he ended up coming, moving to Miami. He ended up moving to Kendall, you know, working out of my studio. And that's where he, I had him just, I was like, look, you can do whatever you want in my studio. I introduced him to my producers, engineers. We did the radio show.
0: Um, How do you know it's real? There's so many people, there's so many people that are just, I don't know, just jive turkeys, just fucking. How how do you know the connection's real with him? For me, again,
2: it goes back to like, a balance of of what you you know how you're helping each other you know artists very easily will will take advantage of fans and and people who look up to them and it'd be one way but i always wanted to make sure that people respected myself my crew my company and what we brought to the table so you know i would just be like if he asked me for a favor or do something cool i need you to do this for me but he would do it you know it, it, you know he would sometimes hit me up yo i got this for you
0: and then I would in kind return the favor, you know? With yeah, that's, I used it. jive turkey is someone who's unreliable, makes exaggerations or empty promises. Yeah, they're like, they're, there's like a, they, when I grew up, it, the years I spent in, in Berkeley and Oakland, there's just a ton of fucking hustlers on the street.
2: Yeah, it's, and it's about, my main thing is consistency with people. Like, be consistent. And, and, and if people lack consistency with you and how they act and treat you, then you yeah. know that that's bullshit. That's a bullshit friendship. you ever accused of being naive or too nice to people
0: or too nice to people?
2: Well, in the earlier years, I was way more aggressive in my approach to everything I did. Okay. I had had a crew of dudes with me, 10, 15 of us. Um, And we, you know, some people might not respect us, whether it was the part of town you're from, whether it was that we were mostly Latino, there was different reasons why we would have to like, you know, be a little bit more aggressive and assertive. But I felt like there was a point where I kind of got humbled where I I felt that aggression was just, it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't needed. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't needed. And so I kind of toned that down and, and, and it's, like I said, I don't think I'm too nice. I think I, I expect it to be equal the exchange between people. You know, if I don't have a problem doing more, but if I see that it's just completely lopsided in one way, then I'll disengage, you know?
0: Um, this sort of this posturing that maybe you used to do to get respect, as opposed opposed to just like you you speak for yourself. Did you consciously tone it down, or just you got older and it toned down? No, consciously you did. Consciously, I
2: decided what what do I want to do? I want to get into beefs. I want to get into shootouts. I want to go to jail. What 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 is the fuck that do I really want out of all this? You know, I'm saying yeah. I would get mad because I felt like I would mentor younger people, and they would they would come up and kind of blow up a little bit beyond me and then like completely act like I didn't help them. And I would get like, I would just, it would just get me really angry and pissed. And, and there was things were happening where like younger crews were coming up locally and they were, they were attacking us because that was the way you got on in hip hop. And so we would have like these rumbles and fights and guns would be around. And I just like, okay, where's this going? It's going nowhere. Good. Yeah. I have a respect already. We already made a name for ourselves locally. We're, you know, What am I here for? I'm not here for any of my friends to go to prison, um, which unfortunately one or two did. and, And I'm not here for anybody to get, you know, hurt. So let's, let's, let's tone this the fuck down. Let's make, let's keep it business. Let's do business.
0: That's the drug dealing culture too, right? Like you're, you're just slinging some weed to like to smoke your own. Then you start dealing like eights and ounces. And then next thing you know, you're like, fuck it. I'll drive to Mexico to get a pound. And then someone's like, Hey, bring some Coke over the border for me. And next thing you know, there's dudes with guns and you're like, what the fuck? I'm just trying to like, what the fuck happened? And you're like, I, I tap, I'm out. You know um, what it I'm is. It, it's, it's kind of funny how there's. It's like that in the, in the hip in the music world a little bit too. It's how hard pur- do you want to be? It's the pursuit, but it's the pursuit of money,
2: right? I, I ultimately identified right. what the problem was. Like we're like I would divert from what I was into. I was into hip hop culture. I was into creating art, but then I would divert from that to make money because I money was more important. And that's kind of where I came up with this idea. Where like fuck this because you'll you'll burn people for money. You'll lie to people for money you'll do whatever the fuck you need to do for money. And that's what I identified as that's, that's a problem. That is a problem. And I don't want those kind of people around me. So if Mm. I'm, if I don't want those kind of people around me, I can't be, I can't like exemplify that. I can't be that. So I decided that it's money's not going to be my driver. You know, obviously we all need money and you need to make smart business moves, but I'm not going to be this greedy motherfucker trying to jerk people or, 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 out you know shine people or push people to the side and fuck people over just to make make ends meet. So nah. That's that's, that's, what, a, that's what helped me.
0: Did you read a book that got you into the, that kind of opened your eyes to that or
2: um I read several. My, that's another thing my mom was always doing to me. She was always pushing these self-help books down my throat these these audio books whether it be uh Tony Robbins when I was young or all kinds of shit she was always throwing my way I would listen a little bit and get little pieces, but until I picked out one that I wanted to read myself or or check out, uh, I really like Napoleon Hill. I think it's called Think, Think and Grow Rich.
1: Uh-huh he, uh-huh.
2: he did a whole series, which is actually way more amazing. The book is
0: condensed. Um, and I, do you know anything about him? I just just a little bit. I know that book, Think and Grow Rich.
2: Yeah, I just, you know the the titles is is deceiving because what it was is he was tasked to study successful people in all different types of careers and sports and kind of identify the, the common denominators in their personality characteristics and, and the way they approach things. And he, he made a, and then he made a book and a series about it. And and that, that book really was, was very helpful.
0: When you read it, did you see shit changing just all around you right away? Yeah, I did. I did. and, and, and,
2: you know, when the recession shit was going on, the the shit that was popular at the time was the secret. Remember?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: And I watched it, and I and I fucked with it. I was like, man, this is dope. But then I had friends that watched it too, and 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 what happened was there was two types of people that got something out of that: the people that said, I'm just going to sit at home and dream about my life being great, and then look around and be like, where's the check? Where's where's everything? Or the people that are going to understand that, yeah, you, you know, thoughts become things, but you have to you have to be proactive. You can't sit yeah. your ass. You can't be lazy about it. Like you have to go out there and do them but with intention. And that's what I got out of the secret as well. I thought it was dope. You know, I I took bits and pieces. I, I'm not, I'm not really into like, like, I don't like organized religion. I don't like to be in, like in, in a, like a cult mind state. Like I, I take what works for me from everything. This might work for me. This might work for me. Try to make it my own and, and move forward.
0: Uh, but there is something, do you think that there's something going on here that's um, not being talked about? That Internally. can only that can kind of only be pointed out, just like um, I, I don't want to use the word magic or miracle or mystical because it, it makes it too far away. But just in terms of uh, the, finding food in Cuba, finding the Napoleon Hill book, having it change your mindset, the, the 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 powers of manifestation, the powers of how thought gets you on the right path, that there are some components and elements here that are um intangible but real as fuck 100% real. but real as fuck kind of guiding like you got to get on this this that you got to get on your path that we, i can't even talk to or point at but it's but it's real <laughs> you know what i mean sure. it's like I, I wholeheartedly believe that to be true i've had things
2: happen in my life that are kind of unexplainable yeah that go that you know go along those lines of, of kind of manifestation and, and, and intention and all that stuff. But I don't like, you know, what I've noticed is that when you talk to people about it, if they're not, in, if they're not in that mind state, it just, I don't know it's a, it's a, a buzzkill. They're like, uh, you know, I don't whatever you, It sounds like you sound like you're into some mystical shit. Right. And that's right. not what it is. You know, it's, it's just, it really is, man. It's just, just working, doing what you do and just having clear ideas and intentions. And the thing is, it wasn't new to me because I did that. Out of high school, when everybody said, you're fucking crazy, you have no connections in in hip hop or the music industry or anything, you're nuts. But what I did is I was reading all these articles from Master P to, to Luke to, to Eazy-E, kind of like trying to build an understanding of the industry. And then I kind of saw this lane, this road that I can kind of navigate and say, okay, I, I see a path. Yeah, I actually see a path. It's not going to be easy. That's the thing. It's not going to be easy for the people that subscribe to the secret is that they look at a bicycle in the window and the bicycle should appear at their house the next day. It's not going to be easy, but you will get there if you're consistent and persistent about it. Did you ever meet easy? Man, I wish, man. He he's definitely one of one of my idols for sure. Like N.W.A. was just crucial for me. N.W.A. and Public Enemy, those two specific groups
0: i was thinking today when you came on there's the, so the crossfit community is kind of like it's it's a cult it's a family like it's a pretty right. hardcore cult and there's all these big names in it right N- not not big like in the world like we're fucking a tiny little fish we're a giant fish in the world's smallest pond right and we right. all think that the world knows about us and shit but it's, it's not at all but anyway so uh i think about how heartbroken i was like when uh easy and Dre broke it's ways good. Oh yeah. Man, yeah. Like that shit just, and I'm just this kid, you know, in California and, and like, like I'm even, even in high school, I'm like, I wonder if I could drive my car down there and get them together so they could talk. I mean, you know what I mean? Just dumb thinking dumb shit. And, and I think about that in, in my community too, in CrossFit, I was like, fuck, I wonder, cause there's people I beef with in, in my community and I'm just like, fuck, maybe, maybe that's not good for the big, bigger. I was thinking about that, that just, just morning about having you on all the beefs that you've witnessed and how it kind of hurts the fans like it hurts their hearts
2: yeah man just that's when i feel like humans we just we have we're not evolving man <laughs> like we just i always say like humans suck we just we go down to our primal and we just do things that we know is not beneficial to people and we we, we beef over dumb shit like to see like there's a in hip-hop right now there is a problem people are dying People are getting killed. These young kids are, are the, you know, are rhyming about things that they do and actively going out and doing them. And um, and then also there's the there's the 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 whole thing of pill popping and all this stuff is is popular. And you know, I it's easy to be an old man and be like, oh, I come from the generation where you know we were we talked hardcore shit, but we're trying to like tell you not to go down that path. We 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 didn't you know we didn't talk about we talked about being a drug dealer, but that you shouldn't do it and. And we didn't do drugs ourselves because, you know, the dealer doesn't do the drugs. But unfortunately, man, it's just I don't know, man, you get me down that road. I start to get a little depressed about the world at large. And now that I have kids, it just makes me way more sensitive to a lot of topics and issues.
0: It's. uh, Yeah, it. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a trip. You you know, I, 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 when I lived in Berkeley, Oakland was on one side of us and, and Richmond was on the other side and they were like two of the murder capitals in the United States. And I lived in Berkeley and and it felt like just one giant city, but because I didn't hang with any of those dudes, it was, it it, it really is who you hang out with the shit, the trouble you're going to get in. You could be fucking one city over, you could be one block over, you could be in the fucking hood, but if you don't hang with those cats, you're probably not going to get shot.
2: Right. I mean, the only difference nowadays is that social media has kind of leveled a little bit of that playing field Yeah. where there's a cross-contamination.
0: Oh, explain that to me. What do you mean?
2: Or, you know, maybe you have some kid in, in a suburb start talking shit in the comments on some dude that's not from the suburbs. And, yeah. and and then they might see each other at a club and it boils over. Like that's the type of stuff that's happening where before you could be in these isolated areas and never see each other. Right.
0: I, I'm trying to think I, I besides the kid who brought a gun to school in the second grade and then the, and it was like nothing. he just just took his dad's gun and passed it around <laughs> I, I never saw a gun in school. another kid did you see guns in high school?
2: yeah, I mean, in yeah. junior high we had like I witnessed my first drive by at, at my junior high Oh
0: i was shit. i was,
2: I, was uh, I had the I don't know if I should be saying all that. I mean I've said it before, but I, I had the anarchist cookbook, yeah, yeah, I had that, and I was making bombs and. And selling them to people and damn,
0: yeah, scraping, like, scraping banana peels,
2: all of, yeah, the banana, the, the
1: <laughs> pine, needles,
2: pine needles, and uh, and orange peels. That's that's part of. It. And you can make all these crazy booby traps. And, and so you know, I, I did see a lot. And then in high school, there was a, there was gangs. You know, there there's definitely gangs out here, and I saw a lot of shit. A lot of people get shot or stabbed. Not a lot. I'm not. let I mean, not say a lot, but
0: I saw it enough. But it happened. Right. Uh I want to go back to this um sp- speaking of uh wild people you had the game on the show. Yep. Um why did he come on with that uh why did he come on wearing this?
2: Uh I think it's just kind of like the covid wear at the time. Oh, it was? I mean, that's just I'm not saying that because of covid he wore that but he was probably wearing that a lot as a mask during COVID and just wore it, you know, just for the look. You know, okay. I mean, and then
0: eventually he took it off.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like Pharrell had was wearing, I mean, this was we were did his fresh out of quarantine, and Pharrell was wearing a mask for most of the episode, and then he kind of like brought it down. Did you have any COVID fear? Um, not really. I I caught it early on. Um I felt, no, I I really didn't, wasn't as, me personally, I wasn't as as scared of COVID. I felt, you know, I was more worried about the effects on society of how the way we reacted as a country, as a government.
0: Me too.
2: I saw it early on, like bubbling what was going on in China and I had a trip. Uh, Someone was flying me out to, I think, New Orleans and this is, it wasn't even hitting here yet. And I told them, you know, like I told you with having my kids, I'm a little bit more sensitive to things. And so I told the guy, I was like, yo, I can't do this trip, man, because there's some shit going on. It's a like COVID-19 pandemic thing that I think is going to start coming over this way and it's going to disrupt travel and, and stuff like that. So I don't want to be stuck out there. And sure enough, like the next week, um, I probably wouldn't have got stuck, but it was close enough. But uh, that's all I was worried about. I was more worried about how we were going to react as, as a society to it.
0: How many kids do you have? Two. I didn't Two see of. them on your Instagram. I don't like posting them on social media. No. And and why is that?
2: I just, I don't know. I don't, I'm kind of like that, that old school mentality of, you know, you don't, you don't really talk a lot about personal stuff. You don't post, you know, like my kids to me are innocent. They don't need to be posted on social media. Me personally is how I feel. Yeah. yeah. If someone, I don't know. I always think about the worst things that could happen, but I hope for the best. But Maybe someone doesn't like me and, and maybe... They, you know, they identify my kids and maybe they want to hurt me that way. or I don't know. I just don't know. I just don't feel comfortable posting my kids. And I, I mean, I've, I'm not going to say I never have, but I, I really try to not do a lot of that.
0: Um, I, I had a, a dear friend on who you may have heard of, uh, Dave Castro. He, he used to run the CrossFit yeah. Games. And he told me that he said he doesn't put his kids on. And I said, why? And he said, because I, wouldn't, I don't want my kids ever to be somewhere. This kind of fucking rocked my world when he said this, because I post pictures of my kids. He said, I don't want my kids ever to be somewhere and someone approach them, even if they're good people. Be like, oh, you're Dave's kids. Absolutely. And I was like, fuck, I don't want anyone ever approaching my kids either. Like stay yeah. the fuck away from my kids. Don't even look at my kids there's a lot of, like but yeah I, I post pictures of them and them doing crazy shit all the time i tell my girl all the time i would rather be over
2: exaggerated in my protection of my kids than than sorry that something happened right so i rather someone say oh you're a little paranoid well fuck it when it comes to my kids i will be over paranoid about things yeah not to say that i'm sheltering them and not letting them do things i'm just saying when it comes to like exposing them in certain ways
0: you have a podcast that's a parenting podcast also
2: the fatherhood's podcast yep
0: when did you start that?
2: Uh, I think when as soon as my girl got pregnant with our first. Um, so about 4 years ago. And and shout out to my boy Manny Digital and, and KGB over there. Uh, you know, I just me I was already talking to my friends who were fathers, you know, about what I should expect, you know, just kind of consulting with them. And um KGB doesn't like to be seen. He's he's old school. He doesn't even have an
0: Instagram or anything. But uh, is that the real buff dude I see in a lot of your pictures? No, that's Charlie, the one that I keep saying oh. Charlie. Charlie. Yeah, he's got her. big old titties, and he's just he's, uh, he's
2: the one that took me to CrossFit. Now he just okay. he doesn't okay. do CrossFit anymore. He's just at the gym pumping iron. But uh, but yeah, so we we you know we said look, we're having these conversations. We think the community it would be helpful in the community. You know, as we're all like hip hop dads basically, and I we think that we feel that hip hop fathers have gotten a bad rap over the years. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, like, let's let's have these conversations, and and hopefully, you know, we can help some people. When, and while we're helping ourselves, we're having real conversations that we were having on the phone without recording it uh, in in the Fatherhoods podcast. And then we have guests, like we'll have like Bumby talking about kind of being a grandfather. We'll we'll talk about Angie Martinez talking about being a mother to boys in the Me Too movement. You know, having different perspectives and different people on parenting, and, and but more in line with with fatherhood.
0: Um. Uh, do, do you do you can cons- how, how how do people who are part of the hip hop community identify themselves? So like, if you go to a CrossFit gym, you know, people would call you a CrossFitter. If you go to a, a Christian church, you know people would call you a Christian. D- does the hip hop community have a like? Do they are they called hip hoppers? Are they?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's changed over the years because hip hop has become this global genre of music. That's like, I wouldn't consider every fan a hip hop head. Um, but the thing is where I can only identify from where I came from. And so the, the way I came into, to, first of all, when we were young, we were living hip hop culture. Besides listening to the music, we were all break dancing. We all were rocking around with boom boxes. I was doing graffiti. So we were already living the culture and that's, those are the elements of the culture part of it, you know? And so once I learned that this thing's called hip hop, the rap music is the music of the culture and is that and the other. Then now I'm like, okay, I'm in hip hop culture. I'm into this. And so in Miami locally, there was literally a few thousand hip hop heads. It was it was it was like I always tell people it was almost like identifying the goth kids in school. Yeah, that's the those are the goth kids. Those are the those are the the, you know, the jocks. And then these are the hip hop kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that back then it was a lot easier to say because we would all go to the same clubs. There was only very few clubs, you know, or parties um and we would all see each other and kind of know each other by face didn't matter what part of the city you were from we'd all culminate for this love of this of this thing it's changed over the years because it's become so huge so i don't know that i can't speak for a 19 year old kid who listens to rap and considers you know if they consider themselves a hip-hop hit or what they consider to be a hip-hop hit but this is how i consider it you know i feel like if you're into the culture you understand the culture you know kind of the history of the culture uh more or less, the elements of it and what it what it means as a bigger thing, just in the music itself, than just rap music. Then I feel that you're a hip hop head.
0: Are there any songs that you think that have just fucked our culture, like, um like just set us down the wrong path? Like N.W.A.'s "Fuck the Police."
2: I mean, I'm sure that it's it. it there's a good argument to be made that like gangster rap has fucked up a lot of shit. But then again, I could say that argument for Metallica. I could say that argument for you know, suicidal tendencies. I could say that for butthole surfers. I could say for, right. you know, a rain, you know, like whatever, you know, like when I used to, when people used to criticize hip hop, I used to say to my, I used to think about like the Rat Pack and Frank Sinatra, how they were down with the mafia. Right. Like, yeah, they didn't talk about their music, but they, they were, they were like the mafia's arm of music, you know, like they were what made them look cool and stuff. So I think we have bigger problems than, than blaming it on just, hip-hop you know like it's not hip-hop's fault because again i subscribe to the idea that art should be free and open to interpretation i think people should just be better you kind of said this already be better parents to your to your kids so that when they listen to fuck the police they don't go outside and say to a cop fuck you because nwa told me
0: yeah i never did that but i always get the impression that people did do that i never listened to i didn't hear fuck the police and think anything less of police to me it's just a song but I'm sure there were people there were I'm, I'm guessing that there were crowds that 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 invigorated. I I tried. I, what I tried to do is understand why they
2: were saying that at a point. And this yeah. is where Public Enemy helped me a lot in, in, in putting myself in different people's perspectives and then looking at history, because that's another thing. I feel like people don't have they don't have context because they don't know history. People refuse to to learn about things. So then they take it for what it is right now, and if you do that, then you're missing a right, big part right, of the problem.
1: Right.
2: And so I would look at, okay, why are they saying that? And then, and then as I grew up and I started to have my own interactions with the police, then I started to realize, yeah, I'm not not happy about these people either. You know, the policing could be better. And if, I, I went to school and I had a, a criminal justice class, and 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 I had a teacher, Mr. Brett, amazing. He was he was a police officer before he became a teacher, and he was great, man. It was amazing and he he taught us a lot about you know the pressure and the fears that cops have and why you should treat them a certain way when you interact with them and i adhered to all of that yeah and usually it was went well usually most cops were great but it was just those couple of bad apples that could really fuck it you know fuck everything up and make you
0: fear all of them right or make you have to stay for all of them so you know it just depends man you ever spend any time in jail you're, you're you get arrested yeah yeah i got <laughs> my
2: my jail i have I guess two jailster, but I got arrested. Do you know the, remember Elion, the Ilion thing that happened in, in Miami with the kid? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I have a ridiculous story with that. And part of my problem with police. I knew
0: it. All Cubans know each other. I knew it. They were all there. <laughs> no. So
2: that was a big national news story, obviously. And it was huge. The, the family where they had the kid, remember when they raided the, the house?
0: Yeah. For people who don't remember, will you give us just a brief story that there was a kid who needed to be deported or something? Right now, they- sure. it came with his mom.
2: Yeah. They came on a raft. The mom died in the ocean. Uh-huh. The family here, you know, she risked her life to get her to get her kid here. Then the family here took him in. But then I I believe Castro was still alive. Yeah. Castro and the regime used that as a political, you know, anthem for themselves. Like they they just amplified like this is a problem. Like they, they wanted to use that on the on the world stage, and they were and then the father in Cuba, which I actually understand. The father's like, okay, the mom died. I need my son back. Yep, 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 yep. But yep. You gotta look again, perspective. Take yep, the yep, politics yep. for a second, perspective. I, and, f- I
0: feel him. I feel him. Give me my fucking kid back, or I'm burning the whole world down. So
2: the father was like, you know, mate of course he was used as a political pawn as well, just like the family here was used as a political pawn. Yeah. And and then the father fought, and then finally, you know, the government, the US government decided that yeah they had to give the kid back the family here die hard cubans they were like nope and the cube the local cu- cuban community were protesting it and like like kind of surrounding the house and then the feds went in and by force had to take the kid out i don't think they hurt anybody but you know they forceful entry so when that happened um protests sprung up all over the city cubans were protesting all over i had my store that i mentioned crazy goods on a street where down the street they were doing a protest and this is before i go to cuba My friend who went to Cuba with me, Garcia, who was also one of the filmmakers with me, and he was a rapper in my crew. He's Cuban as well, so we both looked at each other. This this is history right now unfolding before us. Yeah, let's go and look. At least go look at the protest. Go check it out. We're Cuban. Let's just go and see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So we walk over to the to the where. I mean, we drive over. We park. We walk over to where they're doing it. Um, and it was just a. They were just stopping traffic. It was like you know, hitting pots and pans, dancing singing they were just just being annoying to the traffic they were stopping traffic the riot police get there we didn't even go into the actual protest that was walking in the streets there was a cop that stopped us and said you guys stay here in the corner the 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 riot police are going to clear those people out when they come back you guys can leave because we wanted to leave actually we're like i told when i saw the riot police i told my boys like it's time to go Yep. Yep. Um, the riot police clear out, they come back, mind you, it's a corner with, it's me, my boy, a little kid, a little Cuban kid yelling obscenities, obscenities to, about, he's like, Janet Reno's a, a, a bitch and, and Clinton's a oh, But bed, It sounded even more funny. Um, and then there was a, a an older couple and then a, another couple, a younger couple where the, where the woman was pregnant. That was the group that was there on that corner when the riot police are coming back. They're tapping the, the, their batons against their shields, and that's dictating their pace that they're okay. walking. So as I see them getting closer to their point of where they started, which is the intersection when we're on one corner, I noticed that the pace was getting faster. There's nobody now on the street. We're the only people there. And the one cop that stopped us from moving. And I'm like, where are they going with this? Where are they taking this? Like, what are they going to do? There's nobody else. It gets faster. It gets faster. It gets faster, and then it gets to the point where it's like, do, 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 and they just start. It's like fifty cops because it's yeah. a big, big street. They start running to us,
0: and how, there's not even a dozen of you.
2: No, <laughs>
0: they're,
1: they're <laughs> a pregnant
0: lady, a little kid talking crazy shit, and me and my boy. We were probably the
2: the, the, the most you know that they, that they would be worried about. We look at the cop, I, the one that stopped. I said, "Yo!" And he just turns around and walks away.
0: Oh shit!
2: And maybe you know, I'm saying fifty because that's what it felt like. Maybe it was right. five. Right, right, it right. Too many for dudes us.
0: with shields.
2: Yeah, and they're running, and they're shedding their. Sh- they're running at us, and they start throwing shit to make themselves lighter so they could run. At first, for a, one thing, second, I'm like, "Yo, what is going on?" I tell my boy, "Run!" So I start dipping. I'm running. I'm running. I don't know what happened to the little kid. He zoomed right past me. He was a little skinny little kid. He runs right past me. And one dude just gets a, he gets a beeline on me and he's like, he's on me. He's shedding his helmet. He throws his helmet at me. It hits me in the back. He, he throws his, his shield. He throws, he's like just throwing everything off so he could run faster. I turned the corner thinking, well, maybe he just wants me off this main street. So I turned the corner and when I turned the corner, I slipped on like a, like a, like a piece of dirt that was there. And he just got on top of me and he started just beating me. I always tell people, I felt like this guy was beating me. Like if I raped his mother. Crazy. How angry this guy was, and he was just hit beating me. He was choking me. I had a chain, a gold chain. He was like yanking me and like twisting it. And I mean, luckily he he didn't beat me too too bad. He picks me up and then he like zip ties my hands. And then he tries. I, I don't know if you know that sometimes they use this tactic where they they bend your thumb. Yeah, you know, this swells up, and then they they have the, the twist ties really hard. He did that to me. Threw me in the back of a paddy wagon. I was by myself. Now my hands are killing me. They're swollen. I'm, you know, I'm a little beat up. Then the paddy wagon starts doing
0: donuts, and I'm flying around the paddy wagon. Oh shit! Oh shit! That's like how they killed that one kid, right?
2: I, I don't know, man. But this is all happening, and and the, the cop was Latino too. Like he was a, a Latino cop, so it's not a racial thing. It's just again, the I don't know what the fuck was going on. And um and then my then they stopped and they had like this this they they created like a a, a mobile headquarters in a in a shopping plaza. And I see everybody had got caught, except the kid. And then they got the pregnant woman. They put her on the other side. The paddy wagon was divided into two parts. They put her opposite of her, of her husband, and he was crying. She's pregnant. And they were stuffing the paddy wagon. And then they took us to, to the county jail. And in the county jail, you know, people weren't happy with the Cubans protesting. And a lot of, uh, you would have thought that Haitians and Cubans were kind of rivals to it at, at this time because of the political issues that they were dealing with. And they threw me and my friend into a, a Haitian cell. Where there was a lot of Haitians, and but but everything was cool. Like the Haitian, the Haitian dudes were cool. They were like, Zopa. it was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was cool. It was cool. Cool it, enough. It, it was cool. Like one dude, like in, you know, we had to immediately the house man's like y'all got to take a, sh- a a shower. That part I was like, oh fuck, man, I don't take off my clothes and take a shower and they jack my shit. And but while I'm taking a shower, dude was like, yo,
1: you DJ E F?
2: Oh shit and i'm like yeah whatever i mean that was the experience you know my girlfriend at the time she bailed us she bailed me out and uh and and we got bailed out and and then yeah so that's that's what we did Char-
0: did charges get dropped for that
2: so a bunch of uh, uh cuban lawyers were 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 doing pro bono work for all the cubans that were getting caught up in that and yeah we got we got them to to drop the charges oh
0: shit that's cool yeah so yeah.
2: And yeah. then I had another incident where I got uh, I think I was had an overnight lockup, but yeah, that was the most memorable one.
0: Um is um is uh he, does he go by Noriega at all anymore?
2: Yeah, yeah, you could call him Nori Noriega. He's he's cool oh, with both. Okay. Um
0: does Noriega live close to you? His house? He used to. Now he lives in in uh, in in more uh like North Miami. Okay, but 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 still the same city. Mm-hmm. And, and, and your drinks champ studio is in Miami.
2: We don't have a set studio, which we should, but we, we kind of are mobile. We've been doing it out of a bar. We have friends that own some oh, bars. Right oh, so
0: okay. We yeah. uh,
2: during quarantine, he wasn't using the bar. So he was like, just use my bar. And we've been there ever since.
0: Okay. That's cool. So that is, th- th- and that's what I meant. So that is your studio. The bar is your studio.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, um, but you also will travel to people.
2: Yeah, we will do. We've done stuff in LA, a bunch of stuff in LA, New York, New Orleans. We went to the recently the Essence Fest.
0: And how often are you doing shoot uh, shows? Every week, practically. You do one a week.
2: I would love for us to do just one a week. We, I, I say we're like firefighters, like because a lot of people, come, a lot of artists come to Miami, so basically we'll get the call, and sometimes we just activate. So like the other two weeks ago, I think we did like three or four in one week. We did two back to back in the same day.
0: So it will literally be like, uh, hey, um, JLo's in Miami and my friend knows her. And she said that she'd come on your show and she but but she has to do it like in three hours. You'll be like, all right, cool. We'll see you down at the bar.
2: If it's JLo, that's going to happen. It just depends on the on who
0: it is. Right. We know it's going to be,
2: you know, how hard it is, how difficult it is to to
0: book that person. How about the island boys? Would you would you would you fucking get your shit together for three hours for them? I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> they could come to my office and do our other show, Beer Fest
2: Fridays.
0: Um, what's up with those kids? What's going on? What what are what are we seeing? Um what's their hit? Do you know anything about them?
2: I mean, I think I just know what everybody else. I just last night though, I came across their interview with Steve O. Stevo did uh-huh. an interview for his podcast.
0: I don't know, man. I just think they're
2: too... Two kids, you know how you say are people closet rappers or whatever. I just think they stumbled onto this, and it's you know nowadays the the what you know it's it's not just chasing a career and and, and kind of like X Y Z how you make money. It's like going viral is a form of making money because once you go viral, you can monetize that. And and so they 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 figured out a way to they went viral and they're taking advantage of it. I'm not mad at how they're taking advantage of it, but I don't really know much of their story.
0: Uh, when I found out they were Cuban, I
2: was like, oh, damn!" But oh, uh,
0: they are Cuban.
2: Yeah, they're too Cuban. Yeah, they're 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 you know they're probably first or second generation.
0: Okay, here. I had no idea. Okay,
2: yeah, they're Cuban, and they 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 don't they seem like good kids actually from the interviews I've seen. They don't seem like bad bad kids. I just you know they don't the music, seem like music, bad you know, kids at all.
0: They don't no, seem they like don't. bad kids at all. But okay, let me ask some more pointed questions. It, it, how cognizant are they're tattooing their face, dude? Yeah, I, they're tattooing. their How cognizant. God, I'm an old fucking man. How cognizant of them. Is there a plan? Like, let me go way far out there. Was there someone who came up to them and, and like some fucking Jewish guy with a fucking suitcase who's four foot eleven is like, listen, boys, this is what we're going to do. Here's a plan over three years. We're going to do this. We're going to approach this social media strategy. You guys are going to get some tattoos on your faces. You're going to sing these songs. And we're going to do this kind of like how you might imagine, like Millie Vanilli did. I don't know right. if Millie Vanilli really did do that, but um, right. it, 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 do you think that there's some sort of master plan with those guys or those kids are just like, fuck it. Let's just every day they're shooting from the hip.
2: Yeah. Look, I don't know, but I don't think so. You,
0: you think know, they're shooting know? from
2: the hip? I think so. I mean, I'm sure that they have a, a couple people around them, especially now that they've, you know, they've become this like thing. Um, and they're doing very like strategic interviews with, I've seen them doing certain interviews with people. But I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that they started as like this whole campaign strategy that someone concocted for them. I think there were kids that were doing it, and and then something hit. They even like in the interview last night that I was watching with Stevo, they said they said that they they didn't even like the thing that went viral. That one of the brothers didn't like it, and the other one was like, "No, nah, that's cool." And they thought this other song that they did on TikTok was going to go viral, and then that ended up going viral.
0: I mean, they do some weird shit that makes me think they're making fun of themselves. Like when they show themselves fighting, like, are they making fun of themselves?
2: No, they, they are. Again, I don't know for a fact, but I think that them or now the people they have. I think now they have people around them that are identifying the algorithm or whatever you want to call it, what works and what doesn't work. And they're like, do more of this. Wow. And, and, you know, I think that that is, is probably what's happening now.
0: Incredible! It, it's a trip to watch. Uh the, the only advice I have for them is they got to stop smoking. Weed? Uh, no, nicotine. Whatever. Whatever's in oh, those vape pens. Th- whatever's in those vape pens, they got to stop. They're going to. You, you're gonna. You're gonna be bummed. And anyone who's addicted to nicotine, you're you're gonna wish you weren't. You're gonna. You right. do not fuck with nicotine. Uh, nicotine is terrible. It it is a and, and the vape pen is um. Just as bad. It's it's a thousand times worse, man. It's fucking heroin. With I see nori those,
2: quit after what? years. Nori, he he was a, a chain smoker, and he was able to quit.
0: Yeah, good on him. Hey, how, how did he do it? Did he lock himself in a
2: room or something? I don't remember how he did it, but I know it was a part of it was with dieting and fasting and doing stuff like that that kind of got him on that road.
0: Um, you guys have been friends for so long
2: yeah.
0: 20 over over twenty years. Yeah, man. Is it um do you guys talk besides um going to the show or do you guys try just to keep the whole relationship at the show level? You like, know, will you call him after this and be like, hey dude, let's go to the beach, or hey dude, you want to get our kids together, or do you do that?
2: No, nah, nah, because he lives he doesn't live close to me. And and you know, and I, I live where I live and we just we're at different and this goes to all my friends. I'm in a different place than all my friends in the sense that most of my friends have older kids that are either adults or or approaching adulthood. Right. And I have a two year old and a four year old.
0: Yeah. That's where I'm at too.
2: What, you know, what people seem to have forgotten when their kids were that young or they were so young that they didn't care as much, or they just had a different type of lifestyle. But I feel like, Hey man, I'm lucky enough that I do the things that I do and, and, you know, I, I have I have a living that allows me to be in my children's life as much as possible. And I understand that these my kids aren't going to be this young for long. And so I want to be there as much as I humanly can around them.
0: More kids. Are you going to have more kids?
2: I don't know. I would have been fine with just one. But myself and my girl were both only children. And we know what that felt like. So we
0: brought my son into the world. Uh, so they can have each other. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, my wife and i used uh, a shitload which my girlfriend at the time we we always used protection and then once we she wanted to have a kid when she uh, she was 39 and i was 43 we thought we would never get married and never have kids but then all of a sudden she wanted one and then that's what, how we ended up with more because I, all of a sudden you know after 15 years of using condoms and then not it just became right. like four years of just 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 fuck greatest four years of my life Man, god, I love pregnant women. Just the whole the whole when they turn into mamas, it's so great. Yeah. I don't know how dudes leave them when they're mamas. Like that's the time you want right. to be with them. For sure. Um you guys did a 3-hour interview with P Diddy but only showed 45 minutes of it? No. No.
2: Our our television version is 45 minutes cuz it's an it, it fills an hour block with commercials. But our YouTube versions are the full thing. Full thing?
0: Because I thought I heard yesterday, Nori say that he asked P Diddy how many times he's eaten J Lo's ass. Yeah, he and did, that, and that that didn't make the cut. Did that make the cut? Man, that was a while ago. Does Nori, when Nori says that, do you do you want to run out of the room or do you get excited, or do you just like?
2: No, I'm just I'm I'm the thing is I'm 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 used to it. You're chill, okay. I'm used to it, so it's not n- neither either or. You know, um, the only one that makes me cringe is when he says, "How many abortions have you paid for?" Like that's, that's, oh. that's a wild. <laughs>
0: uh, oh, he goes I, hard. He goes no, hard. He stopped saying that. He stopped
2: saying that but, oh. um, you know, Nori's just you know he he's smart. Nori's a, a smart guy. He knows how to play the media role and yeah, knows what you know what things people are gonna be like shocked by, and and you know, and in the beginning, I think that that's what helped us is that people a lot of these artists weren't weren't doing these kind of long form uh sit down interviews i don't even like calling them interviews because i don't feel like we're journalists doing q a's we're just having these conversations but, but nonetheless they weren't doing them a lot and i think that what the fans and the audience really loved is to see them sit there for that long loosen up a little bit and then how they react to some of these weird questions or yeah, some right. of the weird banter because we have no problem in mid-conversation talking to our friend on the side Hey, pass me that, or hey, stop doing that, or hey, and so that's what I think people came to love about drinks. I was like, how is this guest going to react to this environment, and and so that's what it is.
0: Guest, it's it's kind of weird, right? Like, I, I don't know if it's like this for you, but I like all all the guests pretty much equally. Like, I I love just getting some dude who has fifty followers who lost two hundred pounds and fucking just going deep with them. Yeah, like like. Who made Everybody fun of you? Reported. What happened? How did you get? you know what I mean? Just dig into their past. next thing you know, we're crying together. just fucking dig. But uh, there's also a component it's like, oh yeah, look at me. I'm a fucking big game hunter. I got Dj EFn coming on today. I fucking you know, put that fuck put his head on the wall. you know what I mean in the podcast <laughs> game, like tro- like it's a, I got a trophy is <laughs> it, in in your since you work with revolt, do you guys get to? enjoy um lesser guest, or is it always rhino hunting is it like after kanye you're pissed that you got fucking the island boys you're like fuck right. we're really s- <laughs> you know what i mean we're slipping
2: I, I think you could have you'll have different answers from myself and nori on our perspective of this but yeah. our show was founded on the idea of giving a platform for artists that came up in our era of the 90s and and then and then also prior to them any of the pioneers and the and the people that inspired those peers of ours and ourselves, like the Karis ones and the and the Rock and the and and even going back, Grandmaster Kaz. You know, the, the people who kind of built the the whole culture up. And so, when we started six years ago, there was there was no platform for them to go to because commercial radio and anybody doing anything that was popular was only catering to the new artist. So it's easy. You could argue that people were saying that, oh, this is not going to get traction. That's why I think we were. We caught lightning in a bottle. I don't even think our distributor at the time, which was CBS radio. I don't think they were prepared. And in fact, I know they weren't prepared. They didn't think it was going to blow up because we didn't make a penny till six months down the road because their advertising and sales team didn't know how to sell us. Right. And so now if you ask Nori, Nori's very competitive. He's very, very competitive. So now there's a lot more big podcasts in our space and everybody's trying to get these big names and big artists, but, for me personally, the best ones are the ones where we bring in these guys you haven't heard of for you know haven't heard their name in a while, find out they're still working, they're still dope, find out their story and maybe help reinvigorate their career if we can have any hand in that. and um and I also think that when we have a big artist, it it, it, it only benefits when we bring in that other artist the next you know the next episode if, if we bring in a new audience and then that audience learns about this person afterwards. Like we just had Patti LaBelle never yeah. in a million years would I have thought never, not even starting this podcast. I never, we had Kanye that I ever think I would sit across the table from Patti LaBelle,
0: such an icon in music. Yeah, that is crazy. That was crazy. I saw that the most recent I'm trying to see if I, I have the photo somewhere. Yeah. Is, 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 um, are you guys texting people? Like I, I'm like, I, like I do, I used to, I just got kicked off of Instagram, but I, uh, Well, kind of. I don't know. I can still kind of see my account, but I had this account with a blue check mark. And so that's what I would do. I would just like DM someone like you, and you'd see the blue check mark, and you'd be like, yo, what's up? And I'd be like, hey, can you come on? Who does that? Do you and Nori, like just you guys are just going into your contacts and just hustling all the guests?
2: It's all of us. You know, Nori definitely has a large Rolodex of of people that he's been cool with because of his long career. Um, And so that that helped jumpstart our stuff. You know, I have people that I've worked with over the years, artists that we wanted to have on that I've tapped into. And then now we're, we've gone into the weird realm of where we're a part of people's rollouts, you know, their, oh. their press run, which I don't like that. I don't like being a part of, I want people to come to our show cause they know what it is. They're into it and they want to sit down and, and, and have that conversation with us. But when you're a part of a press run, sometimes it's the publicity team, the managers, the label telling them to do the show. And it's not as, you know, it's just not as organic, it's not as authentic as I would like it to be. But I'm, 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 I sit down with an open mind, um, just to have great conversations with these people, have fun. I think that's another thing. We're just trying to have fun and celebrate the careers of these people and the culture at whole, and that we're all a part of it, and kind of say we're all lucky to be here to make money off of this, you know.
0: Uh, who's this? Okay, that was the game. Uh, Snoop Dogg. Yeah, he,
2: he's a reoccurring. He, he was the second time he was on the show. Do you have
0: any? Who's your who's which guest has been on the most?
2: Uh, Fat Joe has been on a lot. Jada wow. Kiss has wow. been on a lot. Irv Gotti. This is his third time being on the show. Jaru. Um, DMX was on twice. We had him. He was our our first. Not the first episode, but the first episode that really kind of took us over the top. Uh, he was like our third or fourth episode. And it was a really like, it, you could call it maybe a dark episode. Um, and then the last one we did with him, which was maybe a month or two before his passing here in Miami, he was just in such good spirits and good health, it seemed. And he was really, a really a pleasure to be like now he knew what it was when he did the podcast the first time. He didn't understand what a podcast. He didn't understand what the fuck we were doing. You ever we set up sh- in a hotel, in a hotel lobby, and so this time around, he knew he had seen the viral clips from that one over the years. He knew what it was, and then he was just in a good place, man, and it was really dope.
0: I it, in the beginning, I, I've only been doing it a year. Well, that's not true. I've only been doing this podcast for a year, and when I first and now I'm five hundred shows in, and when I first started. Like I would get like a UFC fighter on and I'd be all excited. And this fucking guy would do it from his fucking car while he was so fucking stuck with driving while he's so fucking stoned. He can't answer a fucking question. <laughs> right. And and that's what I kind of, I guess what uh, what I was picturing the first time DMX was on, like they, like they don't even know what they're getting into.
2: No, nah, yeah. It's, it's like, totally- Hey
0: dude, there's going to be 30,000 people who see this and you're sitting in your car stoned. Like what the fuck?
2: Yeah. He definitely, he did it as a favor more to Nori. Uh-huh. They, they were label mates and he's like whatever bro you do you, you do a, what do you do a podcast what? he didn't know like no, yeah. he didn't know when i first was approaching about doing the podcast it was a fairly new thing specifically to hip-hop even and uh you could tell like he sat there dmx doesn't like interviews to start with he's not into interviews yeah um and he just he talked and he he you know he drank a little and he got into prayer mode and you know people were were thinking that maybe he was using again at the time I, I didn't see him use anything. All he did was drink. And um, it just he was just in a dark place. You could tell, though, either coming out of it or going into it. And after that, you know, that 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 episode went super viral. It, it took us over the top in terms of the numbers. And we think, like, oh, he was on a quarantine episode via Zoom. And then he came to the show in person again in Miami in recent times. And, and, and it was amazing. Like now he knew what what's prayer mode. He's big on like, he's, he's really religious and he, he's, he's, he's known for going into like these sermons and prayers. Like he'll pray, you know, to, for everybody.
0: Just all of a sudden middle of the interview.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that prayer went crazy, you know, it went viral for everybody. Like whether you're religious and you love it for that or, or just because how intense it was.
0: Yeah. Fucking love it. Uh, ASAP Rocky. How old is he?
2: He's young. I don't know. I think he's like, what, 28,
0: maybe? Yeah, man. He looks like he's 15. Yeah, he's with Rihanna. Mike, Mike. Tyson
2: was amazing. Wait,
0: ASAP Rocky's dating Rihanna?
2: Yeah. She's, uh, they got a baby that's coming.
0: Wow. Is she like 10 years older than him? I have she- no idea. I'd be talking out of my ass. Hmm. Mike Tyson? So oh. what,
2: that's ASAP. Okay. He's 33? Okay. And Rihanna's 34, so they're, they're right there.
0: Chris Brown. Yep. We went to his house in, in, in LA. Uh what did you think about that song he did with uh, Lil Dicky, the the Freaky Friday? I
2: thought it was cool. Did you Can't did say you, that it was it wasn't something I was
0: really into, but I thought it was cool. And the video? I don't even remember seeing the video. Man, I watched it like I swear to god a thousand times with my kids. Oh really? Oh man, it's so good. Have Dicky you had- though, yeah. Um, did you ever see that freestyle he did on the breakfast club i'm pretty years ago right little dicky yeah and he said the thing about bending over michelle obama oh no i don't remember no? oh fuck it was crazy <laughs> it was crazy and that animation video he did with snoop Dogg. yeah i remember that and doesn't he have a show yeah, I yeah, he does have a show. I can't I I watched one or two episodes. I really like him. He's talented, but it's so self-deprecating that it's over the top. You know what I mean? I mean, he really yeah. beats himself up like I I like a I like a little self-deprecating, but it's tough. And I guess with a name like Little Dicky, it's like that's his, <laughs> that's his shtick Oh, th- there she is. Yeah. You guys you showed this. Oh, we did show this. Okay. Caleb, you're a good dude. Caleb's in the back here. Shout out Caleb. The, running the show. Uh LL Cool J run DMC Two Life Crew Two Short UTFO Ghetto Boys out of Houston. Ghetto Boys.
2: We've we've had Scarface on. Uh I hosted a a Ghetto Boys show here in Miami that was dope before uh before homies passing.
0: Uh Salt and Peppa. Um Lil Kim. Have you had Lil Kim on? Is she in jail? No, no, she's out. No, no. We
2: we she's we really want her as a guest like we she's someone we, we've been trying to get on on the show for a while.
0: Yeah, she's remarkable. She th- those were all the people like I was thinking to myself I was like oh shit I need to write down like I need to think of all the rappers that really in the beginning I was just like had my hair blown. I mean You Be Illin by Run DMC, holy shit. Yeah, that was a classic. It's a classic. I mean that was the anthem. Everyone everyone was singing that
2: run dmc beastie boys at the time too Yep.
0: well thank you for coming on what a great uh education for me it is a um i, I uh it is a group the 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 rapper that i had on his name was lika by the way okay um and, and and i think i had a couple other rappers on it, it's a it's a fabulous genre my last question for you is this would you guys ever think about you had floyd on Mm-hmm. are you are and you had tyson on mm-hmm. a- any plans to um continue down that path you know have israel adesanya on have like you know explore more fighters that you know you know who that is the one the yeah. ha- um maybe have some politicians on have uh have larry elder on you know um any any thoughts of, go- of going down that yeah i mean well we have a branch of
2: the show called drink champ sports that we're We haven't really, you know, explored completely, but shout out to my boy, Paul, uh, that does that Drink Champ Sports. And yeah, I mean, I'm down to have me personally, again, speaking for myself, I think anyone and and everyone is welcome to do the show as long as we feel that we're going to have a good conversation and that somewhere in that conversation it's related to hip hop. It can't go far away from, you know, because that's what we do. But I'm down for, I mean, actors, comedians, politicians, anybody. authors napoleon hill (laughs) i mean he's dead but (laughs) we could have a seance for him um but yeah i'd be down and then like i said we have dream chance sports we have smoke champs which is another branch of that we put out and we you know we're trying to build out this network and and, and have other podcasters but but yeah I'm, i'm open to to having just great conversations with people awesome hey dude Thank you, man. I got. Oh, before we get out, I do have to shout out IMT, the box I go to, because I know a lot of the guys are watching, and, they, and Beer Fest Fridays, which is a, a beer and CrossFit podcast I produced with some homies. I was a bad influence on them, and I started having them drink a lot of beer and eat some pizza every Friday after a wad, and it turned do into a podcast. podcast. Do you do some podcast every day? I'm involved in something podcasting pretty much damn near every day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're a good dude. If I'm I, not producing it or I'm, I'm, I'm doing an interview on one, I'm involved in something every day.
0: I'm so, thank you so much for coming on. I know when you have your own podcast, the last thing you fucking want to do is go on other people's podcasts. So I really appreciate it. I love
2: it because I love you never know where these conversations are going to go and it's refreshing.
0: Yeah, cool. Thank you for having me, man. I
2: appreciate you. And shout out to my girl for setting it up and, and my boy Jay Havana who who helped quarterback it as
1: well.
0: Yeah, awesome. And I will be watching and uh and, and and staying in touch with you. I appreciate you. Sounds good, man. Take it easy, brother. Be safe yeah. out there. Too. Yep. Never mind. Oh. You Can you be on? No. <laughs> oh my god. Beer Fest Fridays, Elise carr Uh, Karina, thank you for hooking me up. Uh, probably what a what a, what a fucking remarkable fast two hours that blew by. Two hours and eleven minutes. I was supposed to be at my kid's skateboarding camp forty-one minutes ago. I just couldn't let um, uh him go. There, I didn't even get to my notes. It's like, but 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 man, we we sure did explore a lot. So many interesting people with such crazy, crazy history on this planet. Um, Tomorrow, I do not have a show scheduled. I don't think. I think that uh, for all of the athletes who have been reaching out to me, uh, I'm just a little bit overwhelmed. Please keep reaching out to me. I thought I wasn't going to do any CrossFit podcasts for a while, but there's so many people who uh, are open to doing shows together. Um, and follow up after the games that maybe tomorrow I'll schedule two or three and we can just catch up with people. But I don't think um, – Caleb, I, do we have anything scheduled tomorrow? I don't see anything. No, we don't. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, I will see you soon, maybe uh, tonight even. Um, Uh, I know, uh, Jr and, uh, Taylor and self and Brian friend are crazy stimulated. And as we get further and further away from the games, they've been processing a lot and there's some stuff that they want to share with you guys. that's pretty remarkable. So maybe one of them will come on in the next, uh, I don't know, 48 hours and we'll, and we'll get to work. All right, guys, I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.